WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 370. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 4H at the Hilton in Daytona Beach, Florida. Today's show is recorded on the 16th of April, 2019. In today's episode, search teams find the wreckage of a missing Japanese stealth fighter, but there's no side of the pilot. And armed robbers steal cash worth millions of euros from an Austrian Airlines jet in Albania. More news, your feedback, and in today's plane tales, disappearing into thin air. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 370 is ready for pushback. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast, kind of like an aviation talk show. And on it, we discuss aviation news, and we add our brilliant commentary, and we also answer your feedback. And here to help with that endeavor from her lakeside studio in south carolina doctor skydiver marathon runner strength training junkie ipa connoisseur and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot dr steph well good afternoon captain jeff it is very nice to see you it's been a little bit of time since we've uh, done a show so really looking forward to this i am too and also joining us from a studio in the english countryside He's a professional photographer, a former RAFRAAF fighter pilot, currently captain for an international airline, at least for a little while longer, for a, a airline based in London, Captain Nick. Hi, Jeff, and currently still grounded, sadly. Oh. Uh, more of that to come, but it's not getting me down, don't worry. Well, we can all be happy about the fact that the skies are safer. And from his studio near the Concord Covered Bridge in Smyrna, Georgia, barbecue master, motorcycle rider, pontoon boat skipper, underwater photographer, and captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier, Captain Dana. Hey, what am I doing here? Who are you people? I don't recognize any of you. It's been so long since I've been here. But I'm looking forward to being back. Great to see everyone. Great to have you with us, Dana. All right, let's... uh fade that out and let's start talking <laughs> you like that transition smooth, there? Yeah. Real smooth. well i'm a professional yeah. <laughs> well not really uh yeah so uh how has everybody been doing um i think we have a lot of things to talk about dana you haven't been with us for a while what's what, what you been up to uh i've been doing that thing aviating navigating and communicating Ooh. so yeah um been flying quite a bit since I got back from that big trip to Hawaii and uh, nothing too major like, to report uh, other than, than uh, something that you probably have a piece of uh, audio on here in a little bit. Um, so 
Uh, last few days I've been off, had a awesome opportunity to spend a little time up on the lake for a little hour and hour on Saturday. Sunday was a rainy day here in the Atlanta area. So it was the first time I've actually sat on my couch and turned on the boob tube, the TV for a while. So, um, flying wise been flying. Uh, well, I can't even remember where I've been. Uh, oh yeah. I remember where I was. I picked up a trip. And uh, I ended up north of the border with, for me, pulled out my passport, which for me is a uh, cardinal sin. If I have to fly anywhere that I have to pull out my passport, I always say I've gone too far. So, but uh, yeah, we'll uh, <clears throat> cue up the music on that one there, Jeff. Okay. And uh, we'll let, uh, let the uh, audio come commence on that one. What do you think? I think that your transition was a lot worse than mine. Well, way worse. So, you okay. know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to read your facial expression <laughs> to see if you're actually ready. Cause I was trying was to lead problem. into that. Yes. My finger is poised. Ready? Uh-huh. Ready. Well, hello there, APG community. This is Captain Dana, and I uh, got lost here, and I found myself uh, north of the United States border in this wonderful country that's named Canada. Oh, Canada. And ironically speaking, everybody that listens to the podcast happens to know that I enjoy watching the Red Sox and also the Bruins and any other Boston sports team. And they're all from here in Toronto, if you haven't figured that out by now. It happens that the Red Sox are playing Toronto, but unfortunately not here. They're in Boston. And also the Toronto Maple Leafs are squaring off against the Bruins. But I'm not going to go any further with that because uh, it's just ironic that I'm here in Toronto and that happens to be tonight that that's all happening. But the bigger happening this evening happens to be the meetup that we have going on here this evening at the wonderful restaurant uh, that we're at. It's a pizzeria. It's called... Uh, Scatterbush Italian Kitchen and Bar. And uh, some people came around and said, well, you know, this funny-looking guy with bald hair, big blue eyes, and big personality was coming to town, so they figured they'd come join me and have dinner. So I've said enough now, but I'd like to go ahead and introduce the crew to you. And uh, I'm going to start, well, who wants to go first? Anybody volunteer? Mike? Mike, you want to go first? Okay. I'm going to let them all introduce themselves. You've heard enough from me. So here we go. I'm going to pass the microphone along the table, and everybody's going to have a chance to say hello from this wonderful meetup up here in Toronto. Oh, well, thank you very much, Dana. Uh, it's my distinct pleasure to uh, meet you for the first time here in Toronto. I've uh, driven in from London, Ontario, about an hour and 45 minutes away, but I am not the furthest who has, I have not been the one who's traveled the furthest today, but you'll find out about that later. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for coming up and, uh, and holding this uh, wonderful meetup at this beautiful place here. And uh, thank you very much. Well, Mike, thank you very much for being here. It's uh, great to meet you. I'm going to pass it on over to Dan. Thank you, Dana. Um, my name's Dan. Uh, I've been waiting a while for a meetup uh, somewhere in the Detroit area, but uh, this beautiful place here in uh, Toronto is awesome. Go Leafs. That's for Dana. 
and uh, I'm a little bit starstruck, so I'm tripping over my own words. And uh, love the show, and thanks very much for making this happen. Hello, my name is Josine. I've given feedback on this podcast before. Um, I have the distinct honor of being the person who has uh, traveled the longest and the furthest to be here today. I came in from Montreal, which is a six-hour trip, so 12 hours total. But it's been great. I've been meeting some really interesting people, and it's been great to meet uh, Dana for the first time. Thanks, Josine. It's Liz here. What a fantastic evening. Just thank you, Dana, so much for coming up and making this all possible. And thank you, Josine, for coming in all the way from Montreal. And Dan and Mike and Christian and John. It's been just great meeting up with everybody. So, Jeff, why don't you come up to Toronto sometime soon? Huh? Over to John. Good evening. This is the... uh foreign correspondent for the official channel of APG News, John Brown, and uh, I'm enjoying a wonderful evening with uh, my comrades in arms here, and we're enjoying uh, Dana's company and uh, having a very nice uh, evening all together. So uh, we're meeting some new faces and uh, all listeners of varying vintages and uh, enjoying the uh, the camaraderie. Uh, the last person on our list is Christian, and uh, he's going to introduce himself right now and uh, tell us a little bit about himself. Thank you very much, John. It's uh, Christian Base. I'm really pleased to meet a lot of the folks here in Toronto and put some faces to uh, the great uh, feedback and voices that we hear on the podcast. Uh, and great to meet uh, Captain Dana. And hopefully one day we'll uh, be graced by the presence of Captain Nick um, and Dr. Steph and (laughs) Captain Jeff. And uh, John's taken lots of photographs and uh, incriminating evidence. And uh, I will pass it back to Dana. But it's been fabulous to uh, meet everyone and be part of the community. I absolutely love the show. Thanks. Well, thank you, Christian. Thank you, John. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Josine. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Mike, for all of you guys coming to meet me here. I was quite floored when everybody showed up. Didn't think I was actually this popular. I thought, I thought they tricked them and said that Jeff was going to be here. So, but uh, anyways, unbelievable meetup. Really impressed. Josine came all the way in from Montreal. I actually picked up this trip in open time when I saw Toronto on the uh, on the uh, open board. I said, well, there's just one reason I need to go to Toronto, and that is to meet all these great folks up here. So in the in the meantime, uh, we're going to continue on with our uh, friend, friends and family and fun and everything else we're having here, a little bit of liquid libation, uh, obviously not too much, got to work early in the morning, but uh, anyways, been an incredible evening of fun, and I'm going to send it back to you, Jeff, in the studio. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, thank you very much. Wow, it sounds like you guys had a great time in Canada. I was absolutely Lord, that all these great people, that uh, Liz, Mike, Dan, Dr. John, Christian, and what effort Josine made to come uh, all the way from Montreal, which was a six-hour 
bus ride each way. So 12 hours just to come and spend a few hours and meet up with this group. And it was a great group. Uh, we had such a great evening. The food was was great. The company was even better. And uh, I was truly, truly 185%, maybe even 250% honored uh, that everybody came and uh, to join in the meetup. Weather wasn't too bad. Uh, a little rain snow going into <laughs> going into toronto uh, of course uh, uh i landed on six right going into toronto wait a minute wait a minute it's april dana it's it's like i can, you can't believe I can, it there's no snow this time of year yeah there was snow there's freezing rain <laughs> the, at, at two thousand feet we're getting ice up like a popsicle hmm. uh yeah it was it was it was nasty <clears throat> so um and i landed on six right and i remember that uh, very explicit conversation we had about six right, six left in Toronto, and the whole short of six left, uh, how close that is. So I thoroughly briefed that. And of course, uh, with it being wet and slippery uh, type of conditions, uh, non-grooved runway, I was uh, very, uh, very uh, forward with using the auto brakes going in there, uh, medium, and also full flaps and from touchdown so I could get the aircraft stop on that non-grooved, non-porous surface. So that was one of the considerations uh, that I had going in there with, with the conditions that we had. And uh, <clears throat> a couple of things that happened beyond that, uh, I had a very small meetup in Sarasota. Um, Dean, our friend down in Sarasota, came meet us, met us at the Owens Fish Camp for dinner. My first officer and I, uh, that was the week prior. And I had something very interesting happen with the FAA uh, that got on the airplane. This is actually uh, uh, the last thing I want to talk about today is uh, the gentleman got on the the airplane and he's going to ride my jump seat. And he's an air carrier inspector for Express Jet Delta, I mean, uh, 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 Acme Jr., um, or actually Continental or United or whoever they're at and who they are now. Uh, they all fly for all those carriers. So anyways, um, they uh, <clears throat> he was going up to Cleveland to do an inspection and gets on the airplane and makes a comment to me. He says, the airworthiness, airworthiness certificate looks a little faint to me. Excuse me? He said, "Yeah, some some of the wording here is a little, you know, I can't read it all. It's it's a little it's a little worn out." I looked at him. I said to him, "Okay." He says, "But you know what? Don't delay the flight for it. It's everything's okay. Just you know, make sure they get it addressed." I looked at him. I said, "Sure, great. One thirty one sixty seven. Let's call maintenance out here." And uh, then we sat down that road that we had to get special exemption to be able to fly that aircraft because this gentleman gets on the airplane and uh, decides to go ahead and make an issue of the way the air. But didn't he just tell you that it's okay for now? Just had it, have it done eventually. Yeah. That's probably a test for me to see if I'm going to, Oh, fly I would have said, okay, <laughs> I'm good. Let's no, go. no, I, I, Papa don't play that. Papa don't play that. That <laughs> <I> do. <laughs> story. <laughs> okay. It's great. Yo, thanks. Great. Yeah. I only come find out his wife's in the back of the airplane <laughs> going up with him. So, uh, you know, I just, <clears throat> that's the way I handle that one. And, and that, in my opinion, was the best in my opinion, because if you have the governing body that is in the enforcement end of things, get on the aircraft and say, uh, you know, this is a little questionable, but you know what, you know, don't worry about it. But because I want to get to where I'm going, because my wife's in the back of the airplane, uh, I throw up a red flag and say, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, we were going to have it addressed. 
And uh, if, if it's not addressable, we're going to take a different airplane. Hmm. So that's, yeah, I know you don't, but his don't agree wife was in the back of the airplane, <laughs> but his wife so was in the back of the airplane. You got to read between the lines, Dana. Yeah. Uh, well, you whatever. shouldn't have this. That'll teach him to be picky. Well, okay. he got the wrong guy to be picky. Yeah. I guess I'm a little bit looser, loosey goosey. Well, you've also been doing it a lot longer. And, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. Um, what do I, I have to lose? I only have just under five years to go. Who cares? Right. And so <laughs> if, if I had to go do this, the song and dance in front of the, uh, the people in the, uh, the crystal palace, um, I don't think I have as much of a leg to stand on than somebody that has the level of your experience. So I'm going to take the, uh, the high side and, and do things properly, like find dates missing on MELs and, uh, certain things not filled out properly wrong verbiage you know i look for that type of stuff because it's my bottom line now so it's uh, very important to me wow okay um anything else going on besides that awesome meetup in toronto and uh the uh, fish camp meetup no uh just uh flying the next 12 of 13 days in a row um, and by the time we get this out, it will probably be too late and, and all the folks will have already not, well, have not listened to it, but my schedule is posted out there on the, uh, on the website, on the calendar and the places that I'll be such great places like Savannah coming up. Um, I have, well, let's see, let me just log back into my phone real quick quick i had it here a second ago and uh, let's see this week i have savannah and indianapolis the next week uh cleveland and sarasota uh, uh lunch in sarasota again with dean is on the uh, books for right now and raleigh durham in nashville coming up the following weekend and uh i end with the uh, the end of the month with the uh, panama city and buffalo now i don't know i'm just looking at the cities i'm not looking at the times i'm there that that is all online i'm not gonna go into all that detail so reach out to me if i can uh, be there and uh, meet up with you guys i'd love to had such a great meetup in toronto it's, it, that's that to this point uh, on my own i mean we've had a couple of really good meetups jeff you and i when we've been flying together but on my own that was uh, uh really the best meetup i've I've had yet, and it was amazing. We yeah, had such a great time. Canadians are just wonderful. Oh, wonderful I love, oh, I love, I love the people north of the border. They're just some of my 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 best friends in scuba diving world uh, that I've been diving with for years. Um, are, are Canadians, and they're just such lovely people. As long my, as they stay on their side of the border, we're good. That's right. Yeah. They, they if they don't invade us, yeah, that's fine. All right, so, that's it. Just kidding, you Canadians. All right, very good. Well, um, Steph, have you been doing anything interesting lately? Have you been on any trips or anything mm, like nope. that? No. Oh, wait, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> uh, speaking of places Dana is familiar with, I spent the weekend in Boston. Um, and I was up there not to run the marathon, which took place yesterday, but mostly to cheer on some family and friends that were running. Um, it's been a long time since I've just spectated a marathon. And I had a plan to run the 5K, which takes place on Saturday morning. Um, and then the marathon is on Monday. And after coming back from the last race I ran, I had all kinds of plans to 
you know, really train for a shorter distance and inject some speed into my workouts and, and try and really work on a personal best time for that race. And I've done something to my knee. So I really didn't do a whole lot of training and I kind of hobbled through the race anyway, <laughs> had a good time. Um, but it was a great weekend. Um, the weather it was, was three, it was a three legged race, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Like you, you like to put your legs in a sack and you tie or them like you, you're, <laughs> You you have a buddy that you run Isn't with, that, you know, you tie yeah. your yeah, you tie your leg to your leg friend. Together. Your, <laughs> Those your are friend fun, actually. Three legged race. Yeah, I, we I, need I to have that. an APG three legged race. <laughs> that would go. That'll be fun. <laughs> After lots of beer. Yes. <laughs> actually, it did not go as. as We're going to do that at Oshkosh. 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 There you yes. go. <laughs> <laughs> this is the APG right. sporting event. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This will Perfect. be. Yes. The APG right. leg okay. race. Can I just officiate? No, you have to be a participant. No, you have to be there with a splint. Yes, okay. and we're going to destroy uh, you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait for that one. Um, but very nice weekend. Um, nothing really aviation related other than the flight I took up there and back. And for some reason, we were very delayed on the way up there. I'm still not sure what the issue was. There was a ground stop involving only mainline American Airlines uh, at Charlotte. It's American Airlines. What else do you need to say? <laughs> Not at, it was not Acme, unfortunately. So uh, there you have it. I don't know. Finally got up there, got some sleep, ran a race, saw lots and lots and lots of friends from actually kind of all different walks of life. Not all running friends necessarily, but I've got some friends in the uh, Manchester, New Hampshire area who decided to come down and hang out for a few hours and uh, one of the days. And then uh, another friend from Chicago was in town and obviously my friends and family that were running. So it was it was a lovely weekend. So, Steph, tell me a little bit about the local beer you drove. Uh, drove you drank up there in Boston. <laughs> I drove. Yeah, I hope you didn't drive after drinking the beer. <laughs> Actually, primarily, I drank um, the twenty-six point two brew, which was created for the marathon. Twenty-six point two percent alcohol. That's yeah, pretty strong. Yes, is, it seems like it because very strong. wow, it was it was strong stuff. And I also had a local cider, and I can't remember the name of the cider. Oh, now. we needed to get Steph to read some technical documents. <laughs> Last night would have been a bad time for reading technical documents. I can tell you that much. So, um, but uh, aviation stuff, hoping to have some nice weather this week. I've got uh, one of the uh, local uh, flight school planes booked a couple of times. And so hopefully there will be some aviation stories for me to recount on our next show. Mm. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wasn't planning on talking about anything aviation related today, so at all. Uh, oh well. Despite all those news articles and feedback you put in the in the yeah, notes there. Yeah, but you're gonna have to, going to. You'll have to. I was just going to bring it back to back to running and okay. drinking. <laughs> running, drinking, anyway. and flying. What else is there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not much. Uh, let's see. Well, that leaves the venerable. Captain Nick, what have you been up to, sir? Well, not a lot, Jeff. Uh, I'm, I've had an MRI. I'm waiting for my appointment to uh, consult with uh, Mr. McLaren, 
who I oh F one was a formula. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. But he he doesn't go that work that fast. It's taking oh. me two weeks to get an appointment. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I've got that in a few days. Well, they're I'm busy, no Nick. Than... There is an F one season going on. That's very true. But they're not doing very well. So yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah, that's true. Um, so I'll know more by the next show as to what the problem is and when I'm likely to be fit. But you know, it's what is it today? The sixteenth. My final trip's going to be like on the 13th. The days are going by fast, and uh, I'm afraid I think it's uh, starting to become uh, more remote, but never say never. Um, but rather than talk about my problems, um, I got a fantastic uh, um, photograph uh, on Facebook, um, a private message from one of our listeners, John Pickard. Now, he's sitting down uh, holding up a... Um, a picture of our logo, and he's uh, he's sitting down at seventeen thousand six hundred feet. Which, for most of our listeners, you know, the fly a lot that wouldn't really be very remarkable. Would but it's it? on You're the ground. Yeah, he is. He's sitting on a rock. He's not sitting in an airplane. He's sitting on a rock at uh, five thousand three hundred and sixty meters, seventeen thousand six hundred feet, because uh, John Pickard is on holiday, and uh, he is at Everest Base Camp, and he's uh, he's gone up there with with, with a, our logo, and it says uh, Base Camp Everest. Uh, I think 17,650, it's got the date and his name, John Pickard, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, that is just one of the most remarkable pictures I've ever seen. Brilliant picture. And uh, he's, you can see the the rocks and the snow behind him and uh, all the um, the weather, uh, you know, a bit of cloud, a bit of sky. And I've just been chatting to him uh, to find out what's happening. He he said he got out of um, Lukla Airport, and we're going to talk about uh, this airport later, one of the most dangerous airports in the world. So he got out of there just before the incident we're going to discuss later. Uh, and he has some footage of uh, his landing at Lukla too, so he might well post that. And um, when I asked him what he was doing up there, he said they uh, trekked from uh, Lukla to the uh, Chola Pass for 5,420 meters, then routed over to base camp had whiteout conditions with driving snow, low cloud. The nighttime temperatures were minus 13 degrees centigrade, and this was meant to be a holiday. <laughs> Sounds very nice. <laughs> and he's obviously uh, flown out of there, presumably back uh, you know, to warmer climbs by now, but uh, I did ask him, but I... I he hasn't actually uh, come back to me yet. But is anyway, he... that's just a brilliant picture. I think it's one of the most amazing places I've ever seen uh, the uh, Acme Airlines uh, logo. I don't think that's that. ever been higher, at least on Earth. <laughs> on the ground? Yeah, yes. on the ground. Exactly right. So, no, it's absolutely is... brilliant. So thank you for that, John. Yeah, thank you, John. Are you plan? Is he planning on, did he actually climb to the peak or just to the base camp? I mean, I don't mean to. Uh, not to say just to the base camp. I probably couldn't make it to the base camp. Well, 17,600 feet is pretty high. Yeah. No, I think he was just on trek. So uh, I think it's quite common for folk to trek around that area. They don't attempt to climb uh, the mountain. Because you start going 
higher, then that's when your risk of dying gets everything. Yeah, very high. Happening. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly right. I think seventeen thousand six hundred is pretty high anyway. Yeah. If particularly if you're not acclimatized, if right? You're just He's not on oxygen or anything in this photo. So uh, no, exactly yeah. right. So I think that's pretty impressive to start with. So that, that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, because I may well not get a uh, a trip. Uh, next month, depending on how this medical thing goes, I might well be at Duxford on May the 12th. Oh, nice. Because as we know, there is a UK meetup there. Now, APG wasn't going to be represented by any of the co-hosts, but uh, I think if I'm around... They purposely um, didn't invite yeah, and, us, yeah. did they? Yeah, well, they did, but then they were kind of like, well, you probably can't make it. So. Yeah, it was like one of those kind of half invitations. Yeah. Like, like, you can come, but we know you can't make it, so don't bother. So exactly. we're safe to but it looks you. like. <laughs> so you're saying challenge accepted? <laughs> I think it might be. If I'm not flying, I'll certainly be there. So uh, Duxford, May the 12th, uh, PTUK, uh, Pilot Pip, Captain Al, um, so plane safety podcasts represented. I'll be there with my microphone if I'm not flying, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. I don't think it's one of those special um, air show days where they do lots of flying, but it's just a fantastic uh, museum anyway. So I'm really looking forward to that. There are a few aircraft out that uh, there that have featured in my plane tales. So um, I, yeah, from a personal point of view, it would be a great day out. Excellent, excellent. Well, we're still hoping, fingers crossed, that you'll be able to make it to Atlanta for your last trip. But if not, the Duxford uh, thing, you know, will be a lot of fun. Well, it will be a lot of fun. And uh, I'll I'll say my goodbye to everyone at Oshkosh instead, which I am really looking forward to. And when is that? Is that this year? I think so. I hope so. I haven't a clue. I haven't really worked that yet. (laughs) Okay, good. All right. Nick, unfortunately, I can't drag my boat up there for you, so... Uh, mm. Can you fly it up there? I could. Well, Put some go. wings on it. That's, that'll work. It's a very aerodynamic boat. <laughs> All right. Hey, so for me, I'm going to have a couple of meetups. I know that you guys are having fun out there with meetups. But before I do that, though, I want to tell you about a meetup that I had, a personal one-on-one meetup with uh, one of our community members, uh, also a Coffee Fun Cadre member, um, Mark Roboff. Uh, he was in Atlanta for a conference. He's an IT guy, and he's into uh, aeronautics and um, defense and all kinds of really like high-level stuff that I didn't really understand. He was talking to me at this uh, place across from his hotel, and I'm thinking, wow, he's saying like some really heavy stuff uh, that I, I don't understand uh, because I'm just a pilot. But uh, anyway, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, had a great time with Mark in Atlanta. And, uh, so just wanted to mention that. And we also have some meetups in the near future. The first one is next trip, the 23rd of April, which is what, is that a week from today? Let's see. Today's the 16th plus seven, 23. Yes. I think it's that's next, next, Tuesday. next Tuesday in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it's at the Albert G's barbecue. And we're going to be there at four o'clock. Thank you, Larry Gregory, for organizing that. And we'll put some information about that in the show notes. So if you're in the Tulsa area, I know we have some APGers there. Uh, If you want to uh, attend the meetup, please do and look for that information in the show notes or 
as always, we recommend that you you join our Slack team. And then the following week, I'm going to be in Kansas City on a layover, and we have this piece of audio feedback uh, where Tom tells us about the Kansas City meetup. Hello, APG community. This is Tom from Columbia, Missouri, and I'm letting you know that we are coordinating a meetup with Captain Jeff on Monday, April 29th. It's going to take place at Q39 in Westport. The address is 1000 West 39th Street in Kansas City. That is in the Westport area. Captain Jeff will be coming into town that afternoon, and we will have a start time of 530. I have posted this information in Slack under the meetup section. I've also included my phone number in there if you would like to contact me that way. Uh, we hope to see you there, and I would appreciate if you would uh, let me know if you can make it so we can save you a seat. Captain Jeff, we're looking forward to hosting you again in Kansas City. We're glad you're coming out to visit us, and we look forward to it once again on April 29th, Monday at 530 at Q39. Hope to see you all there. APG crew, thanks for all you do, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, thanks, Tom. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks for organizing the Kansas City meetup. Hope to see many of you out there listening in the Kansas City area. All right. Anything else? I've been to Kansas City. Have you? Yeah. You flew an empty airplane. Yeah, I flew an airplane in there to pick up the Kansas City Chiefs. Oh. And I met Tom there. Tom is a great guy. He's organized he many is, yeah. an APG meetup, and I look forward to seeing him again. I'll never forget for 300, he drove all the way in from Kansas City. I know. To I know. Be here. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, well, not actually Kansas City. I'm sorry. Middle of, uh, was it Kansas? They live? Yeah, Missouri. He's in Missouri. Missouri, Missouri. Columbia, Missouri, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too so. far from Kansas City, but he, I mean, it's a, it's a couple hour drive, I think, for him. So to Kansas City? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. He says he's like right between St. Louis and Kansas yeah. City. So either one, which not, I haven't seen either in a while. I've not been to Columbia myself, but I hear it's a beautiful place and they have some big uh, schools. I think, was it Mizzou or something like that? Anyway, uh, I think now would be a good time for us to talk about a way for you to help us out financially. It's called the Coffee Fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. That is the great Jeff Smith singing the Java Jive to serenade, serenade us while we're talking about the folks that are contributors to the coffee fund. And since the last episode, we've had a contribution via the coffee fund classic method. Joshua. No, take that back. Joshua, you'll have to wait. Uh, William Shaper or Shopper, S-C-H-A-P-E-R. He gave us $100. Wow. Thank you. Uh, that deserves a mm, bell. Brilliant. Thank yeah. you, sir. Thank you, sir. Um, and uh, that is your way to contribute on a one-time basis or a recurring basis, if you'd prefer. Uh, so thank you very much, sir. 
Um, and the other way to be part of our Coffee Fun Cadre is to become a patron via Patreon. And we have a new producer, Joshua. And uh, thank you very much. And we have a new executive producer, Paul Stackhouse. And again, if you want to become a patron of the show and join patreon.com slash airlinepilotguy, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Stand by for news. We're going to start with plane wreckage found, but Japanese pilot missing in a rare F-35 crash. Nick, would you like to read this one? Oh, uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, no, no, it's fine. If you, okay. I, I think we're, we're good at the moment. Uh, so uh, this is uh, concerns the search and rescue teams. Uh, uh, we're looking for the crashed Japanese F-35 stealth fighter in the Pacific Ocean, close to the northern uh, Japan island. And they were scouring the water for the missing pilot, authorities said on Wednesday. And the aircraft's less than a year old. Uh, was the first F-35 assembled in Japan. Now, that's, I didn't realize they were assembling that own out there, so that's kind of good. Um, and it had only been uh, airborne for 28 minutes uh, on Tuesday before they lost contact with it. Uh, the plane had logged a total of 280 hours in the air. It was the only the second F-35 to crash since the aircraft's first flight in 2006. So it has got a pretty good safety record. Um, um, bear in mind that uh, it's only a single-engined aircraft. So, you know, there is added risk there. And they say this uh, incident could reignite concern about that design. Uh, manufacturer Lockheed Martin is uh, competing for orders in Finland and Switzerland. And, uh, of course, the Brits are also trying to sell, uh, well, I said the Brits, it's a European uh, consortium trying to sell a Eurofighter Typhoon. And, uh, of course, Boeing it, uh, is trying to sell their uh, Super F-18E stroke F-Jet as well. So those countries uh, are looking at a number of options, but the F-35 could be it. Um, Finland could still pick the F-35 as it's close to Russia, said Justin Bronker, research fellow at Royal United Service Institute. I'm not quite sure the logic behind that. I think any decent fighter, because you're close to Russia, would work, but perhaps... He's saying that uh, you need to have an edge and buy the best if you're that close to uh, Russia. Um, the article goes on to say they'd be surprised if there was a common catastrophic fault hidden away because uh, the aircraft completed a lot of flight hours now. So uh, I think they'd have picked up if there'd been any common thread. Um, they've recovered the wreckage. And it was definitely from the F-35, but uh, as it stands, uh, the pilot is still has still yet to be uh, found. His body, uh, we're assuming he's uh, died in the 
crash, but that's all a bit sad, really, isn't it? It is, and he was not an inexperienced pilot. He had 3,200 hours of flying time, only 60 hours in the F-35, but they've only recently been flying the uh, the airplane there in Japan. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, so uh, they're getting um, uh, quite a few of these F-35s. They're also getting the F-35B version, uh, which is their uh, the sort of vertical takeoff, the, the stall oh, shot. like the uh, vertical Marine Corps version. version? Yeah, exactly. And, and they apparently plan to deploy those on its islands uh, along the edge of the East China Sea. I think uh, Japan feels... Uh, a bit threatened by uh, Chinese moves to occupy, even create islands mm-hmm. and put military personnel on them uh, much closer to Japan than they ever used to. So uh, there's a lot of territorial disputes on those uh, little lumps of rock uh, over there. So there's a bit of tension going on. Uh, and this aircraft would certainly uh, help the Japanese to uh, feel secure, I think. Okay. Well, we hope that they uh, do find the body of the pilot and they figure out exactly what happened there. But I have a feeling that that won't be too public because I'm sure it's a lot of uh, yeah, it's all, confidential it's all, stuff. Yeah, all pretty restricted, I'll just say. Yeah. Okay. Um, item B here in the news folder, Austrian Airlines Flight 848 was robbed at an airport. Um, It was an A320 involved in an armed robbery at Tirana Airport in Albania on Tuesday. A group of unidentified attackers armed with guns used a car to break through a security gate at the Tirana Airport, Albania. The gunman managed to steal cash, reportedly worth millions of euros, which was being loaded into the Austrian Airlines aircraft. One attacker was killed while fleeing from the Albanian police. The others reportedly escaped with the stolen money. Police are using a helicopter in a mission to find the attackers. Austrian Airlines told International Flight Network, IFN, the incident occurred shortly after the passengers boarded the aircraft. Neither crew nor passengers on board had noticed the robbery in the cargo hold of the Airbus A320. The airline also confirmed to IFN that no customers or airline employees were injured. The aircraft, which was due to depart for Vienna on flight 848, was checked on the ground at the airport and after they were satisfied that everything was okay, they took off with a delay of almost three hours. Toronto Airport has immediately increased security measures, Austrian adds. The airline will no longer transport valuable goods on this route. Probably a smart decision. Mm-hmm. I'd say so wonder if they, I mean, they must have known that they were going to be transporting uh, cash, you know. Must have been an Sounds insider. Like a inside, yeah. yeah, exactly. Someone with knowledge. Yep. Because otherwise, why would you bust through a security gate at an airport and, with and guns and go to the exact plane that has all the cash airplane, on it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the exact time. Yeah. Right. They just got lucky. Yeah, lucky guess. Lucky, yes. Yeah. Lucky, yes. I so mean, on any other day, it would just want a bit a bunch of, uh, you know, bunch of suitcases and people's personal effects. Which yeah, they were just looking for exciting. like, like uh, they need some new underwear. Walkman. <laughs> they tried to get away with it, like DB Cooper did. 
<laughs> didn't succeed. Sorry. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> did we ever put that in the news folder? <laughs> No, we no, didn't. I don't know that. I don't think we did. I don't think we did. <laughs> Do we want sorry. to even go there? You know, I'm sorry. I, I even opened that can of worms. <laughs> what are you I talking feel like about? Some people Steph? will know what that story was. Yeah, so there was a story uh, regarding um, people selling it was used like Japan, clothing wasn't items. It? Yeah, yeah. Online. Used flight attendant uh, outfits or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You had to go there. Including all of the personal effects. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently there's a large market for it. Apparently. Yeah. So perhaps we should just move on. (laughs) Sorry, Liz. We'll move on now. Liz is getting upset. Specifically didn't. Yes. She was trying to steer us clear of that. Liz doesn't normally use capital letters like that. (laughs) I know. She's like, for the love of God, please stop and move on to the actual news. Well, maybe Matt might have something to say to us right now. Uh, family show, ladies and gentlemen. Family show. Okay. Yes, I, I did notice that Nick has disappeared. He, <laughs> oh, he did was not so want embarrassed. To talk about, about such filth. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Uh, let's see here. Oh, no. I hope that Nick returns sometime soon because this is going to be uh, an interesting discussion. Is he back? I'm not looking at the video. Not yet. Shall we find out where he went? Yeah. Before Nick, where are you? <laughs> oh, he left us completely. He's gone. Yeah, I know. Yeah, oh, gone. okay. I thought you just meant he left his. No, no, he seat. dropped off. He's, he's, he he just disappeared. Okay. Well, we'll let's, wait. Let's see if I can find him here. Uh, All right. Oh, chat room. Are you enjoying this? <laughs> oh man, I can't. We're starting computers. <laughs> Where time. did you go, Nick? <laughs> he's, Nick. He's standing. In, he's just standing in the computer. Oh, is he? Okay, sorry. And too many messages coming through. But he may have gotten that walkie-talkie message. Well, that's why I sent it there instead of his. Yeah. That was a good way to go there, Steph. Yeah, he hasn't answered it. That's fine. He's busy. He's busy. All right. Well, do I have a moment to um, use the little girl's room? Oh, yes. Get a new beverage? Yes. 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 There you go. Refresh. Refresh. Oh, I did. Thank you. Oh, look at that. How did that happen? More caffeine. More caffeine. Did your lovely wife take care of that for you? No, she's not home yet. She actually went oh. by the liquor store to grab a little more vodka. Vodka. And, uh, vodka. And she went to the, the uh, market to get some uh, supplies for dinner this evening because right now I can smell the pork canitas cooking. Mm. I've had cooking for the last two hours. Oh, nice. So those are going to be very good. Um, yeah, so coming home from, t- from Toronto, I went to Duty Free, and they had uh, the limited edition Crown Royal. Mm. Oh, my God. Hey, Liz, if you're listening, if you ever come back down here, limited edition Crown Royal, please. That stuff is delicious. <laughs> it is fantastic. So is Crown Royal uh, Canadian Canadian whiskey? It's a Canadian whiskey, and I, and, and, and I do like Crown. It's actually pretty good, but the, the Crown Royal... Uh, the upper end, the select, and the uh, well now the limited edition, uh, really good stuff. Hmm. You know, you get the run of the mill kind of like uh, Jack Daniels is to uh, is to uh, Crown Royal, the regular Crown Royal. So although Crown Royal is 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 actually much smoother than Jack Daniels, I don't particularly care for Jack Daniels. But uh, here I sound like an alcoholic again. But, so you know, so I drink this stuff to enjoy Canadian. It. What's the difference between Canadian whiskey and like a bourbon like uh, Jack Daniels? All right. So bourbon, 
is specifically made and only made one place in the world, and that's in, in Kentucky. Yeah. It can and be it's from like no a corn place. mash or something like that. It's a corn mash, exactly correct. What about the Crown Royal or the Canadian Crown whiskeys? Royal is, is, is more it is an is a barrel aged whiskey, uh, just a basic whiskey. So it's I don't know the specifics behind Crown Royal. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I know more about Scotch nowadays than I do about the Crown Royal whiskeys or the the, the uh, Jack Daniels. It's just a different way of making whiskey. Whereas the only way that uh, a whiskey can be actually a bourbon has to be made in kentucky ah canadian whiskey is made from rye according to our main man micah he's making he's made from rye okay corn base okay so there you go i i don't know i'm not that much of an expert main micah main man micah thank you for coming through for me and liz did as well we're seeing like different kind of communications coming in i did bring liz a very nice bottle of uh scotch did you I did. She indeed. enjoys her scotch. I, I was going to go down to the in. in <laughs> Sadly enough, I had to do paperwork. I had a three hour sit in Atlanta and I had to do paperwork um, on uh, before I went up to Toronto. Would you F up something? Uh, I did not. Uh, <laughs> I did not. Uh, others did. So uh, it was the uh, uh, which one did I do on that one? Oh, that was uh, due to a no-talk that was not loaded because the agent came up. While I happened to be indisposed in the facility, uh, making sure I do my PDP, which is an emergency procedure that most people don't know about. It's a pre-departure procedure. It's a pre-departure procedure. That's correct. It's a pre-departure P. So, you know, we lock ourselves in the flight deck and on, you know, an hour to two hour flight, you generally don't as long as you go to the bathroom before you leave don't have to go uh, in flight so it makes things a lot easier so anyways i went in, went uh, in there for a moment came back out the first officer told me the agent the ramp agent was just here looking for you for the signature on the no talk i said oh great where is it i'll be happy to sign it and he never came back oh then proceeded to load the the dangerous goods on the airplane Close the door, jetway pull, pushes off, and was on the headset and says, we're ready for pushback. And I then said to him, well, is there something you want to tell me or have signed or what's going on here, sir? And he said, uh, yeah, the no talk. I said, yeah. Is my signature on it? He said, no. I said, is the dangerous goods still on the aircraft? Yes. Take them off. So I ended up having and write that whole thing up and we took a delay for it and so anyways uh bottom line on that uh i spent that bit of time talking to my buddy ryan and then sat down and uh, did all that paperwork and i was going to go to the uh, um it's called flight it's still flight station flight station grab uh, a model of something for or something somewhere for liz but i forgot to do that so i decided to just go ahead and bring her a very nice bottle of scotch so next time Liz I promise how nice so that's it that's what happened on that particular day on my way to Toronto Toronto what a great I I actually took a beautiful photograph Um, oh I said the one with the uh, moon in the the background yeah I saw that one very nice yep so it was uh 
I got a lovely picture on the departure out of Boston today. I'll have to post and share. There's nothing like beautiful photography, beautiful photography from the air. Mm-hmm. Too bad we can't do it in the flight deck. So, anyways, that's uh, that's what happened. Very what interesting. Else? What else? Okay, it looks like uh, Nick is now resetting, resetting the, the router. The router. Or what we'd call the router. Let's call it what it is. He's not here. So. Yeah. It's router, people. Router. <laughs> router. router. Li- Liz- Roto router. router. Oh, yeah. Roto router. Um, Liz reminded me about my delay out of Toronto. Yes, this has actually never happened to me. Uh, 4.45 in the morning pickup. And I received a phone call at the front desk from my uh, cohort that uh, he had food poisoning and couldn't decide which end of the toilet to be on and uh, was not going to be able to make the flight. So I, um, he called in. I called the company and said, hey, what do you want me to do? Why don't you just go hang out in your room because we're going to have to find a new first officer to fly into Toronto because obviously we have nobody there that's ready and able and willing to go ahead and take an airplane down to Atlanta for us. So uh, I've never actually had that. He should have gone out to dinner with you all. Yeah, and he, you know, I he was very much invited. Really good guy. He's been with the company with Acme about a year and a half, a former express check guy, a regional guy that was flying. So he, uh, he, he knows the whole deal. He knows how everything works. And he was really sharp, real, real good guy to fly with. So he, uh, <clears throat> did not want to, he had, uh, actually was working on a real estate deal that they're moving from one house to another in the, uh, Atlanta area. So he didn't have, uh, the time to come join us grabbed what he had told me when he was going up that he was going to grab uh, some food uh, from the hotel so i don't know if that actually occurred or not or whether he just went out locally but he ended up with uh, food poisoning i do not know the end result as to when he actually got back to atlanta but they were able to reroute a an extremely senior first officer um he was deadheading from detroit and he was going to deviate to deadhead from Deadhead to go home to St. Louis. And so he was very excited and happy and joyous. Really? He, he must have been. He was like, this yeah. has just made my day. Yes, made my but day. I get to fly with Dana. Yes. You get to fly with who Captain Dana. Be? <laughs> so <laughs> they deadheaded him from Detroit to Toronto to fly to Atlanta, then go home. So he was not a he was mm. he was not a happy boy. Mm. I mean, in the end, he I mean he was he was really cool. He he actually you know just had a good perspective, and and then when he realized who he was flying with, that you know it I'm made not, it all worth it. <laughs> yes, had to have. Yes, I. Uh, Did Dana mute <clears throat> himself? Yeah. Why'd you mute yourself? You were in the middle of. Yeah, my back. <laughs> yes. All right, there we go. So he just like cut off there. I was like, oh, yeah. Mike just had a little accident. Uh, so, anyways, uh, yeah. He um, once once he realized I wasn't some 
D-bag. Not for not saying the words. I don't want to say it, but a pretty cool guy to fly with. I mean, when he showed up, I said, hey, listen, I know you, you, you know, they pretty much roped you over on this one. I said, well, everything's done. You know, I'll pre-flight. All, all the work's done. Just sit here, relax. Uh, do you want to fly? You know, I asked him. I said, do you want to fly? You know, you can fly it if you want. You fly the leg down. He said, nah, I don't want to fly. Okay, cool. So I end up uh, flying us back to Atlanta at Mach 0.80. Not quite that fast, but pretty close. So Ian got done 17, no, 14 minutes prior than I was originally scheduled to be done for the day anyways. Hmm. So it actually worked out. Win-win. Both be done at 12.17 after I went and did a Birmingham churn. Uh, instead, I ended up uh, getting back to Atlanta at uh, 12. We blocked in at 12.03. So perfect. Not a good deal for the passengers. Um, not happy people. Don't blame them. But uh, I did uh, get up and explain to them, you know, what's going on, the reason, and that, uh, you know, this was not obviously on purpose. Uh, but my first officer was not uh, able to make the uh, trip down to Atlanta with us for. For uh, for reasons that for health reasons for health reasons yeah, it happens it happens and so that's the way it is I'm here I'm ready to go get the airplane get everybody on board and I'll fly the airplane like I stole it so that's uh, everybody was happy with that Josine says Dana is it up to the captain who flies or does it alternate from leg to leg Jeff wants you answer that because well, she's asking the last you. half an she's hour saying, okay <laughs> <laughs> it's it's up to the captain. Uh, but, uh, traditionally, uh, the captain will normally take the first flight and that's so that the first officer can have some idea of how the captain operates the airplane. And I just think it's a, uh, wouldn't you agree, Dana? That's just the way that traditionally we do it. And then, uh, what I like to do when I was a first officer long, long, long time ago, um, a lot of times we would just alternate legs. So the captain would take the first leg. I would take the second leg. Captain would take the next one. I would take the next one. And if you're flying the 727 in and out of Atlanta, guess what? All you did was fly from somewhere to Atlanta. And that got old very, very quickly. So I kind of thought to myself, when I become a captain, and I think a lot of captains do this now, we kind of do uh, like pairs. So if we if our trip is going from Atlanta to Memphis to Atlanta, I'll take those two first two legs, and then my first officer can take the next two, you know, Atlanta to Charleston, layover, and the next day, Charleston back to Atlanta. So uh, that seems to be the most equitable way so that folks can have experience flying someplace like Charleston or Flint, Michigan, or something like that, a smaller place, but they also get the experience of flying into a big, busy airport like Atlanta. Yeah. And, and Josine, I absolutely agree with Jeff. That's pretty much the standard way we do it now is that the, the captain will fly the first leg. When you, when you're starting out a, a trip, uh, it was an exception in this case where uh, the guy had been, uh, you know, kind of railroaded into a, a, a system or a situation that he didn't want to be in. Um, so I gave him the option, especially being a senior first officer. I wasn't very concerned about his ability and it was yeah. only one leg back. So I do the same thing when, when somebody is joining uh, midstream or I join their trip in midstream, I say, whatever you are in the, in the rotation of 
you know, you know, if it was supposed to be your leg, then go ahead and fly if you want or, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. It's just, uh, whoops. Oh, Julie's home. Julie's home. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Owen says in my last airline, quite often in four legs, the captain or first officer take the first and last and the other person takes the two middle ones. Yeah. That's another way to do it. Okay. And looks like Nick Anderson is back. He's muted. No, I unmuted myself. Sorry right. about that. What happened there? Uh, uh, yeah, the internet dropped out. Uh, it was working fine on my phone, but for some reason the PC wasn't uh, holy connection, and it hmm. took a bit of messing about with. But I'm here. Very Yay. good. Yay! Did you did you have good our discussion? Did you hear our discussion regarding uh, used uh, clothing items? No. <laughs> Oh. Well, that's where he dropped out. Like, as soon as ah, okay. I said that, he was like, I'm I, gone. I didn't Don't have want that. To discuss this. I didn't have the, um, the video uh, window up when all that was taking place. <sighs> okay. We didn't really discuss that, did we? Yes. Sort of. We kind yeah, of talked around it. <laughs> briefly. Okay. Have we finished the news then? No, no. Wait, no, you. We're oh, waiting well, for you to come back. Piece of news item was it? <laughs> yeah. No, oh, this is cool. what. This is like the one that I wanted to really focus on in the news. This is the, to me, the most interesting item in the news folder. And well, we could have done everything else and then came back to this. Yeah, we could have done that. Me, but instead of listening to me talk for 15, 20 minutes. No, that was so good. Everybody's bored, and turned off the. Uh, Internet and everything. At that that point. is not true at all. I know. I know it isn't. I'm only kidding. Okay. Next item in the news folder. This one, an interesting one. It was an accident. Uh, an American Airbus 321 at New York John F. Kennedy Airport on the 10th of April had a wingtip strike and collision with a runway sign during their departure. This is in the uh, Aviation Herald. An American Airlines A321-200 registration, November 114, November, November, performing flight 300 from New York to Los Angeles. With 101 passengers and eight crew departed JFK's runway 31 left when the aircraft veered left, causing the left wingtip to collide with a runway sign. The aircraft climbed out. And then uh, flight level 200, 20,000 feet above the ground, and uh, somewhere over Pennsylvania, I believe. The crew decided to stop the climb and return to John F. Kennedy, advising air traffic control that they had encountered a strong roll to the left during departure and wanted to return to John F. Kennedy. The aircraft returned to JFK for a safe landing on runway 4 left about 27 minutes after departure. The leading edge near the left wingtip showed two large dents. The authority, the airport authority, reported that the aircraft was slightly off the center line, causing the aircraft to hit a sign adjacent to the runway. According to information that the Aviation Herald received on the 12th of April, ground tracks revealed that the aircraft was dragging its left wing for quite some distance on the ground, the ground tracks even suggest the aircraft came close to a ground loop. The aircraft and left wingtip became airborne just ahead of the runway sign. The left wingtip impacted the sign, parts of which became embedded in the left wingtip. The wing also sustained um, damage to the underside near the wingtip. And uh, so they have a NOTAM here 
uh, regarding or after this incident, John F. Kennedy runway 301 left 5,000 foot distance remaining sign missing. Now the dis- the distance <laughs> remaining markers and missing. Yeah, yes, yeah there's the, the square ones that just have the number that are black. Yeah, they're black. Number. They have white lettering and lettering. it shows you how many feet uh, are, are remaining. In thousands of feet. In yeah. thousands of feet. And they are not like signs that are on a pole sticking up 20 feet high. They are maybe three or four feet tall. I have not gone up to stand next to one. You know, I've run on a runway uh, and I I think I am taller than this. Yeah, I'm definitely taller than the sign. They're not that big. You, right. you tripped over one, did you? They're yeah, kind of. They're pretty close to the I was ground. Slightly off the center, Nick. Right. <laughs> just so you know the the so let's talk about A three twenty one. I just uh, flew on one today. Did you? So did. have you have you noticed how high above the ground those wings are? Yes, higher Especially than the wingtips. T- higher than the the height of the distance remaining. Signs. Oh yeah, a lot higher than that. Yes. And the wingspan of the A321 is something like 112 feet. We were nowhere near the edge of the runway. The, the, but that runway stuff yes, is not wide. a typical runway, 150 feet wide in the US. Mm. It's a 200 foot wide runway. Mm. Now there was a crosswind coming from the north um northwest north and the runway is a 3-1, so it was a right crosswind. Uh, earlier yeah. in the day, they had some very strong gusting crosswinds, but at the time of the departure of this flight, uh, they were, according to the weather observation, uh, they were steady at 15 knots, 330 at 15 knots. Doesn't sound too terrible. So that's, that's only like 20 degrees. I mean, about that time, it was only about 20 to... 30 degrees off the runway heading. So not a significantly high crosswind. And uh, for some reason, the airplane veered to the left quite a bit because, again, it's a 200-foot wide runway. And then these runway remaining distance markers or signs are another, I don't know exactly how far off the edge of the runway they are, but they're actually, I don't think they're that far off the edge in some cases. I think they are relatively, I'll have to double check on that, but. But to hit your wingtip, you have to, the wingtip has to be pretty darn low to hit them. Uh, So for some reason, and I meant to put the audio from Live ATC um, on the show here, but I didn't get a chance to do it. But they uh, were communicating with uh, ATC and uh, said, yeah, you know, when they coordinated for the return, uh, they said that they thought they may have hit something and that they had some kind of a, you know, big, you know, swerving and uh, rolling mo- moment on the on the wings uh, or a left uh, roll on departure. And uh, I don't know. This whole thing just sounds kind of strange to me. What, what it, do you think about this, Nick? It. No. Or, I'm sorry, Dana? No. All, all I was going to say is I was picking up on the fact that the ground tracks reveal the aircraft was driving, dragging its left wing tip for some distance. Mm-hmm. How would a ground track actually be able to pick that up? I would be witness marks on the runway, yes. I would guess. I think that's what he means. Simon means yeah. that there yeah, like was physical a, yeah, I mean, phys- physical damage. Okay, because yeah. I'm thinking radar returns, the, you know, the ground radar, and how would that know that yeah. it was? But that's, that's uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that one to Nick, but that's a significant 
Uh, well, what I'm going to say is that during this period of uh, an Airbus, uh, and I, I'm sure there are people out there going, oh, well, it's, it is a fly-by-wire aircraft, uh, and it has uh, some uh, flight laws that might have affected it. But during this portion of a flight, uh, with the aircraft on the ground, uh, the flight laws are actually what is called direct law. It is, um, it, it it behaves exactly like any other airplane that has steel cables attached to the flight controls. In that, the uh, the pilots' inputs to all the flight controls uh, do they're not massaged. They do nothing. They just uh, directly move the flight control surfaces in the conventional sense as in any other aircraft. That's called direct law. Um, now, once you get airborne, uh, that direct law is slowly blended into normal law, and uh, the inputs change slightly in their character. Uh, but these guys weren't airborne. They were on the ground. So what they're doing with the flight controls is what's happening to the flight controls. If they put less stick on, they're going to get... Uh, ailerons and spoilers, uh, nothing's going to happen in the middle. So uh, I see uh, I see nothing in uh, the reaction uh, to the of the aircraft, nothing there that gives me any indication as to there being an aircraft problem. What I see is possibly a handling problem or possibly uh, a training scenario that uh, went a bit awry or... Um, I don't know. I'm absolutely guessing as to why on earth they would have managed to get the wind turbine. I know we've got the weather reports, but they're usually over a period. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, don't have any actual weather readings from the uh, tower at the time, whether anyone was looking at the at the clock to see what the wind was actually doing. If they had been gusty, perhaps there was still uh, a little bit of... Uh, um, in a bad weather in the area that might have given them a, a bit of wind shear or something, but you'd need a significant amount of wind to cause an aircraft to roll so far that he gets his wingtip dragging along the ground and gets that far off the runway. And then having done so, doesn't reject the takeoff. Because if I got that far off, I don't think I'd be very happy about continuing. As soon as I realized that there was a danger, I was going to depart the runway. If I wasn't at V1 or above, I would be stopping or trying to. And what about continuing up to flight level 200? (laughs) Good question. I suspect there was an awful lot of either dead quiet on the flight deck, no one acknowledging what had happened, or an awful lot of talk about, did that really happen? What do you think we ought to do? Blah, blah, blah. That's what I would pick. The yeah. latter. The latter. Yeah, like, yeah, me too. Do you think, what, 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 should, what, what should we do? Should we go back? I don't know. Let's think exactly. about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, may, it may be at that point they're asking the flight attendants, you know, if they see Can you look out the window? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. See if, see if there's anything going on with that wing. Yeah, I was there. like, doesn't look right. <laughs> exactly. Now, just out of interest, because I know some people will be interested in exactly what techniques you use, and I'm assuming that the 321 is very similar to the 330 that I have used. Um, the, I, I've got the, uh, the description here of what you're actually supposed to do straight from our manual, and it says... Um, 
On a normal takeoff to counteract the pitch up moment during thrust application, the pilot flying should apply half forward uh, or full forward in the case of a strong crosswind side stick at the start of the takeoff roll until reaching 80 knots. And at this point, the input should be gradually reduced to zero by 100 knots. Now, that's just to put forward elevator. Uh, and to keep the weight on the nose wheel, because at that point, it's the nose wheel that is uh, doing most of the steering for you. And we're steering the airplane through the rudders, but it's the nose wheel steering that's keeping us straight. The pilot flying should use the pedals to keep the aircraft straight. The nose wheel steering will be effective until reaching 100 knots, but its authority decreases at a predetermined rate as the ground speed increases and the rudder becomes more effective. The use of the tiller is not recommended during the takeoff roll because of its high efficiency, which might lead to aircraft overreaction. That's it. No, exactly right. Tiller's a no-no, uh, but it does think, well, oh, I wonder if someone grabbed the tiller. For crosswind takeoffs, routine use of uh, into-wind aileron is not necessary. In strong crosswing conditions, small lateral stick input may be used to maintain wings level if deemed necessary due to interwind wing reaction, but avoid using large deflections, resulting in excessive spoiler deployment, which increases the aircraft's tendency to turn into wind uh, due to the high weight on wheels on the spoiler and the extended side. So we actually practice this, uh, on the, uh, particularly if you're a new pilot. Uh, on the way out, we've got a little cross that shows up to indicate how far we're moving the stick. And we often practice going full deflection, half deflection, just so you know how far you move the stick. And the point is to move it enough to get some aileron reaction to keep the wings level, but not enough to bring the spoilers up because spoiler deflection becomes significant with more than half-stick deflection. Now, it's pretty common with a lot of airplanes, but this is the difference, for example, between my airplane and Jeff's airplane. Uh, as we get to the rotation, so as the aircraft lifts off, any lateral stick input will result in a roll rate demand. Now, we were in direct law, so you've got a bit of side stick in, which is giving you a bit of aileron. You return that to neutral and pitch, because if you keep that uh, roll in, it won't just keep the aircraft wings level. The flight, As the flight control laws blend in once you've got air on, the flight control laws will say, well, you've got less stick in, you want a rate of roll to the left now, and it'll start to actually roll the airplane. But I don't think this is what happened, because all this happened while the aircraft was still on the ground and will, was in direct law. But that, that is one of the, the foibles of the Airbus system. You have to learn that as you rotate the airplane, return the uh, stick to neutral pitch the airplane up so that you have no roll input in as you get airborne. But the aircraft will quite naturally weathercock into the weak with a crosswind, and uh, you just then fly the airplane as you would normally do, and it's not really a very hard airplane to fly. So... Um, that's really all there is to it. Uh, I've had a good look around uh, and looked for some common occurrence, and literally there, there isn't. this uh, Flying the airplane um, in a crosswind and doing crosswind takeoffs is pretty simple. It's, it's not a difficult thing to do, and it's not common to have handling mistakes. You don't see a lot of these incidents where, you know, airbuses are, you know, hitting wingtips on signs to the left of, 
center line of the runway. Exactly. Must I, have been I'm something else going on. I'm wondering if it yeah. was a handling problem or perhaps uh, yeah. uh, they don't mention a burst tire or anything like that. They don't mention an engine problem that could have caused a swing. But if you get a big swing like that, uh, I would probably, if I, if I wasn't fighting the airplane for some reason because of um, external conditions, wind, uh, I would probably think there might be an engine problem and I would be seriously thinking of stopping the takeoff. So. No, the, you know, those of us uh, yeah, flying. We're going to find out more about this, I suspect. Yeah, I those of so. us flying conventionally controlled um, airplanes, uh, and apparently the Airbus is a conventionally controlled airplane in that phase of flight as well. Uh, we, as, as I'm rolling down the runway, and I feel that, well, I know and feel that there's a crosswind coming, let's say, from right to left. What I'll have to do is I'll notice that I'm, I'm having to use left rudder to keep the airplane tracking down the center line. And as the uh, speed increases, the rudder effectiveness increases, and then I can let out some of that rudder. But if I, n I notice that if I put in some aileron into the direction that the, from where the wind is coming, I don't have to put so much aileron, I mean, uh, rudder input. And so I know that I'm, it's basically like cross-controlling at this point, as you would be during a crosswind landing if you're using that kind of technique. And so that you know that when you rotate the airplane, the nose comes off the runway, that it's not going to roll in the opposite direction from which the wind is coming. So that's just a standard technique. I think that, Steph, you probably use that same kind of a technique mm -hmm. when you're flying yeah, Very, your very similar. Yeah. I mean, you want, you know, aileron into the wind, but then as you're taking off, you need to account for that. Right. And then once you're airborne, then you can go ahead and you know go wings level and just let the airplane crab into the into the wind and make corrections just to keep your mm -hmm. track if that's necessary. So, yeah. yes, Dana, I, mean, I think it's a combination of, of a couple things here. Number one, you know your basic feeling for the aircraft, even though you're in a direct law state with the aircraft, um, you're in a hydraulic state. Even so, uh, so your your feeling on the controls are not as if the same as you and I would feel, Jeff. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't. I mean, I don't fly the aircraft. I don't know, but I would imagine that it's easier to over control or overcorrect uh, with the Airbus product or, or anything. Actually, if you go into even Boeing, you you know you have hydraulic uh, powered uh, um, controls out there, flight controls. So that and and possibly the misinterpretation uh, and improper use of technique of crosswind technique. Where you know you started mentioning, well, you know, you use rudders to control the aircraft initially, and then you start using the aileron. Uh, so maybe there's a little bit of an over control in the aileron, and not proper usage of the rudder here to help the aircraft come airborne. Or maybe even like just you're you're tired and you've flown a lot that day, and you sure. actually put the opposite <laughs> yeah, deflection that's, that's, of the aileron in, and then it goes true. whoa as you start getting the airplane airborne. I don't know. You know, there are yeah. so many things that we're not sure about here. Um, but, uh, and, and, and just to answer your question regarding, I know that you and I, Dana fly a very conventionally <laughs> configured and controlled airplane, but the Boeing 727 and the Lockheed TriStar L-1011 were the, you know, were hydraulically actuated aileron units and spoiler units. And we did the same thing. That was the technique. You know, you put in a little bit of aileron into the direction of wind and as, um, Captain Nick mentions you don't want to put too much, and that's why the Airbus manual says 
up to one half stick deflection into the wind because you don't want the spoiler panels to come up. And the same thing with the Mad Dog. We have a, you know, I think, what is it, seven degrees or something like that where the spoiler panels start coming up. So we don't want to put that too much in because then you're going to cause drag from the spoiler panel on your takeoff roll. So, yeah, sure. And, and, you know, you, you, you know, you hit it right in the head. I mean, it's, it's again, you know, what's the degree and a half on, on the Airbus of, of, of control column. I mean, of, of the, uh, the, the, the stick Nick, I mean, is it, it, it's not a whole lot, is it? We don't measure it in degrees. I wouldn't have a clue how to relate. So yeah, you, was it a unit, unit and a half? Is that what it is? Well, we don't have any, we don't have any way to measure how much you're putting it's in. It's about this much right here. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like full deflection, <laughs> half deflection, quarter deflection. There's, we don't have a, de- a degree of, we, it, we don't put like five degrees in. There's no way to know what five degrees is. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, exactly, we, exactly my point. Well, I mean, but I, again, in this case, I'm not so sure it has anything to do with, you know, related to the Airbus and flight fly by wire controls. It's it's it sounds to me like either poor technique or some other kind of system malfunction or, or pile of fatigue or could, yeah, could very well be. Yeah. Um, or a gust of wind. Yeah. Or like a like a just a bizarre all of a sudden out of nowhere, a big giant gust of wind that just caught them by surprise. Well, wake turbulence. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, mean, it'd be interesting. To, it'd be interesting to know. I mean, what they were taking off. There was some. Dis- there was some discussion about that on the uh, commentary uh, or the comments on the uh, Aviation Herald, and I don't believe they were taking off and behind any you know airplane that had some big weight turbulence. I could be wrong, but I don't. Well, the seven one seven throws off one hell of a weight turbulence, so yeah. it doesn't have to be a big airplane. But it, it, so it's remarkable that they say the ground track even suggests the aircraft came close to a ground loop. I mean, that is a pretty severe yeah. maneuver to be flown at the speed they were. You're pretty much getting airborne, and a ground loop at that speed is could be catastrophic. You could end up cartwheeling the, the bloody airplane. And how do you know so that you're not dragging your wingtip all that way? You know, it seems yeah, like you I mean, that would be a lot of, like... You would have to have the the feeling yeah. of the yeah. airframe. Yeah, I I would have thought they would have thanked. known they were dragging because you. I mean, you could just see the amount of uh, angle a yep. bank you need to get the wingtip on the ground. It's a lot. Yeah, when you're walking uh, underneath the wingtip of a Airbus, I mean, it's way up there. Yeah, you're not gonna uh, you're not gonna miss that. You're not gonna not notice that on the flight deck. I I, I think something. Something really bad happened on the flight deck to cause that, right? Either externally or through uh, perhaps you know I, I'm guessing a young pilot, you know, you know, makes a bit of a hash of it and yeah, then leaves it a bit long to take control. That sort of thing might cause that, and I'm not suggesting that happened here, but that yeah. could be. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if they ever release the information list because you know so. we're doing a lot of Monday Monday morning be- uh, quarterbacking on this and. The reality is, is that we're only guessing, and yeah, and uh, but it is a fascinating discussion. I, I'm finding is, this one sure. intriguing sure. because it, it, this is not a common occurrence. Mm-hmm. Not, There's just a lot of curiosity no. regarding this. Well, topic. you say that though, Nick. You say that it's not a common con- uh, occurrence, but look at the next item in our news folder. Ah, you found another one. I, mean. I did. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I think it was the same day or like within a day or two of the Airbus A321 out of Kennedy. 
uh, an Aero Mexico E170 at Chihuahua or Chihuahua. Chihuahua. Yeah. Chihuahua. <laughs> they were taking off. This is from the Aviation Herald as well. An Aero Mexico Embraer ERJ170 registration uh, X-ray Alpha Sierra Alpha Charlie. They were performing flight 2039 from Chihuahua to Monterrey. Mexico was accelerating for takeoff from Chihuahua's runway 18 left when the aircraft, still on the ground with the main gear, rolled left, causing the left wing to strike the ground. The aircraft dragged the wing tap, wing tip, the wing tap, the wing tip over the ground for a considerable distance. A surveillance video suggests about 400 meters or 1,310 feet. What? This sounds very a familiar. very long time. <laughs> it sounds very similar to the one we just it, talked about. Isn't oh. something similar to this also happened in, at this airport mm. like last year too? Or yeah, I landing think they had a, uh, yeah. taken off into a thunderstorm or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know if this is the same airport or not. But anyway, the I main gear. The wrong guy in charge, right? Yeah, the main the gear. Yeah, it was the same guy actually. No. Yeah. Uh, the main Maybe. gear became airborne with the left wing tip still on the ground. <laughs> so the main gear is off the ground, but the yes. wingtip is still on the ground, and the aircraft acts, uh, finally became fully airborne, climbed out to safety, and returned to that airport for a safe landing. Now, they brought it back right away because I think they're thinking, hmm, that was probably not a good thing. We should probably land the airplane right away. And there are some pictures in the Aviation Herald article where you can see the scraped wingtip. Yeah, they brought it back because they broke their navigation light. And, you know, it's illegal to fly without That's gotta navigation be a lights. That's got to be a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's almost, in, in, in I'm, if I may note, right there at 26020 Gusting 31, mm -hmm. I mean, you and I fly in aircraft that our max crosswind is 30. 30. Yeah. Right? So in 18 left and 260. I mean, that's essentially right there at 30 knots. Mm -hmm. It's a direct crosswind. So yep. I don't know what the limitations on that aircraft are, but that is a significant amount of, of wind. To try so to I, right. I asked our uh, one of our E-170 drivers that are uh, part of our APG uh, community, uh, First Officer Craig, about that, and he was able to get back with me and because I was asking him, so I know that some of the flight controls on the uh, Embraer uh, RJ are fly-by-wire. And he said, well, um, the elevator and the rudder are full fly-by-wire, but the ailerons are old-school cable to a power control unit, which moves the aileron. And I'm wondering, again, I'm just speculating here, I'm wondering if this is another case of just not using the proper procedure slash technique in a crosswind takeoff and it just caught the person flying by surprise when the uh the nose wheel rotated and then all of a sudden the, the left wing starts going off to the side you know and yeah i don't know could this possibly be a trend of inexperience i don't know i don't you know so i need to say one thing i have noticed over the past few years that we're taking off on the airplane that I fly, and my first officer, we're rolling down the runway, and he he or she is not putting any kind of, you know, Ooh. correction or deflection into the wind. And then almost always, as soon as we the nose wheel starts coming off the ground, guess what? Going with the wind. <laughs> yeah, it just starts rolling in the opposite direction. I don't know. That was, so, that was pounded into my head by my first flight instructor. Like, put that crosswind correction in, 
and leave it there. Because otherwise, you know, in a light aircraft on a gusty, windy day, it's going to take you in the direction of the wind. Exactly. You know? So I'm wondering, yeah, if this is this a training thing? I don't know. Is this an experience know. thing? What's going on here? This is interesting that we have two very similar incidents in the uh, you know last week. I don't know. Six weeks to go. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick's going to bail <laughs> out. County. You're on your own. <laughs> Joe, yeah, you I don't have to deal with it, it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Not you, my you guys problem. can fix that. That's not my problem. I yet. do have to admit, though, today when I was taking off out of, out of Atlanta for Daytona Beach, there was a crosswind, and <laughs> I didn't put a lot of um, deflection into the wind. And as soon as I started to rotate, the airplane started to roll a little bit in the opposite direction. I'm thinking, Jeff, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know better than that. And, uh, you know, it, it just uh, so even even the best of us out there sometimes don't remember to do the things that we need to do. You know, it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't like I scraped my wing on the ground. I don't think I'm on the Aviation Herald. I, I we'll, need to we'll look right now. Sorry. Somebody we'll look. Double check. Yeah. <laughs> it was very gusty you in Boston realized. this morning. It was gusting 30, 35 knots this morning in Boston. Yeah. Um, but mostly uh, down the direction of the runway we were taking off on. So that was fine. Yeah. Josine asks a question, Jeff, whether yes. you actually mention it to your FOs if they use an incorrect technique or not no, a correct I, you technique. No, I know me. <laughs> Just don't. I, I, I don't. I don't like conflict. And I, I don't want to be the guy to preach to somebody. You know, if if it's somebody that is brand new, that uh, you know is is a new hire, it's on probate. Who is on probation? I may some, say something saying, you know, you know, we, sh you know, you should probably do this. This would have helped in this situation. But uh, somebody that's been with the airline for, you know, a while, no, I don't. I probably should, but I don't because I don't want to be that guy. But you I mean, know, I think if it was something very egregious, if it was like really, you would oh, yeah. like have we, something to say. If we scraped our wing and hit a runway remaining sign, <laughs> then I might say something. <laughs> yes. I, am, I am that guy. Are you? Okay. No, not really. No, no, no. Seriously, uh, it's actually part of my briefing. That I am not going to sit here and tell you how to fly the airplane. Yeah, I'm not going to show you how to fly the airplane. It's not my job to tell you how to do do you know fly by the company standard. You know, the only time I actually say anything is if we're going to violate a rule, uh, break a break a regulation, or cause damage to the aircraft. So right. that's what I mean. That's yep. part of my briefing. It's just guys, listen, relax. I'm not here to judge you. Fly the airplane per company standard, and don't do anything that's going to harm us. So. That's pretty much how I put it. Nick, what about you? And then your you? FRO gives their briefing of how if you're going to do anything like that, they'll just I'll let knock you, know. you out. Knock you out and talk about it later. Exactly. <laughs> talk about it later. Right. I got this, yes. got this hammer over here I'm going to hit you in the head with. <laughs> it, I, I remember your briefing there, Dan. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, as, a, as a rule, uh, say much uh, unless, uh, but a number of our, our first officers that I've flown with ask for pointers, in which case... Yeah, if I've oh, yeah. I think that, if they yeah, ask me, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I'm always impressed when that happens. It's not not a common thing. But I, I have flown with uh, trainers and check rides, etc., uh, and been reminded that it's uh, in my terms of reference. It's one of the requirements of a captain to bring on first officers and to correct them if they see incorrect techniques being used. And it's specifically written in operations manual that we are required to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so that 
uh, first officer's learning doesn't only happen when they're with the trainer. It happens every time they're flying because not every pilot is as good as others are at self-debriefing and learning from their own mistakes. Some people are. Uh, they will debrief themselves very you know, quite critically, and they'll talk about it, and they're usually the ones that say, have you got any pointers? Uh, it's the other ones that probably need the reminding. And although I also find it uncomfortable bringing up the subject of something that might not have gone well, um, it, it, and it's a bit of a difficult situation, I, I do try, if I think it's important enough, to bring it into the conversation at some point. Yeah, I'm usually the guy that's looking out the side window, uh, rolling my eyes, thinking <laughs> all kinds of things I want to say, but I don't, you know. Anyway. Um, I mean, Jeff, do you have your, your feet and hands up on the controls or just ready to go? I don't have I don't know. I don't follow the rudder inputs. Um, I don't have my feet on the controls. I don't have my hands on the controls, but I'm there close enough to take over very, very quickly. Okay, so, I mean, it's just the captain, the captain, new yeah. captain, experienced captain asking that question. Yeah. I'm exactly like you. My hands are not on the controls, but they're close on my lap. Mm-hmm. And then my, my feet are on the floor, but very close to the rudder, so if I have to take over. So. Right. But uh, we, had my, a, uh, we had a captain fail a line check because he had his feet on the floor. So and you, not yeah. on the rudders? So it could be, you know, yes. in, your, in your case, obviously, that they expect you to be following along in the controls. They do. But there is nothing in our standard operating procedures that tells us that that's what we're supposed to do. Okay. I always thought it was weird. <laughs> Occasionally I'm flying with somebody. Most happened, it mostly happened when I was a first officer. And I, all of a sudden I, you know, I'd be putting some rudder input in. And I'm thinking, I'm getting some resistance there. Why, why is that? And then I realized, oh, the guy has his feet on the rudder pedals. I'm thinking, that's kind of odd. But uh, that was a. Uh, not a common thing at all. And of, and of course, you know, the more experienced the pilot is, you know, the less likely I'm to be on the controls. Like if I had, a, you know, a, a brand new hire in the airplane that's just learning how to fly the airplane, has only been on it for, you know, three, four months, then I'm more apt to be, you know, with my feet on the rudders and my, my hands, you know, following the controls. So. I, you know, I judge each situation as as warranted, but uh, you know, as as we have more experienced uh, you know, pilots flying at this point with us that haven't, you know, we haven't had a whole lot of new guys coming through training on our aircraft. Uh, you know, they're 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 far more experienced now, and so I'm I'm feeling a lot more comfortable in that regard. And I just don't want to feel like I'm the uh, I'm watching over everybody, but I am, of mm-hmm. course, because it's, you know. But you're a new captain right now, too. So, you know, that's that's different. You know, if you've been doing this for as long as I've been doing it, it's just like, you know, maybe I'm, I'm maybe too laid back or something. But Well, we, ha- we have a, we have a word, and that's a threat, and that's complacency. Yeah. And I, I might point out that I, I expect my first officer to have his hands on the controls as well when I'm flying the airplane. But don't forget, because our sticks don't move, it's very easy just to put your hand on the stick because the other guy's not going to feel it. As long as you don't put an input in, nothing's going to happen. The rudder's a different matter. Yeah. Uh, the rudders obviously uh, move together, so you can feel the other guy if he's put a lot of weight on it. But uh, I don't normally have a problem with feeling other people on the controls. Hmm. I would. 
if I'm a captain and I feel that I would have a big, big, yeah. uh, I, like all the controls. That, that would be a pet peeve for me. <laughs> if I'm trying to land the, if I'm trying to land the airplane, I feel the first officer with their hands on the, on the ailerons in an elevator and then the rudders, I think I'd have a problem with that. Yeah. Well, interesting. I, I always enjoy these discussions because every airline has different standard operating procedures and ex- expectations and such. And it's, and, and it's always interesting to hear other people like Dana and I are flying for the same airline. We fly in the same position, the same airplane, and we don't do everything exactly the same either. So it's uh, interesting stuff. I think this is good stuff for um, folks who are up and coming to here as well, because I yeah. think there's sometimes an expectation of how things are supposed to work. And it's nice to hear that things can work just fine, you know, with different company SOPs and with the same end goal of keeping things safe. Right. Of of course, I would give up the ability to, you know, for us to be jointly on the controls doing a coupled approach um, if I could have a beard or a goatee. So, like, I don't think you'd look very good with a goatee, man. (laughs) Beard. I think I I would look great with a goatee. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Really? Throw one at Oshkosh. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be off long enough. I was <laughs> off for three weeks running across the country. So, I mean, I got most of it, but not all the way. I think Steph would look great with a goatee. I look fantastic <laughs> with a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to item E quickly. Uh, the We've talked about the Strato launch uh, aircraft, the uh, Paul Allen. The uh, He was involved with Microsoft and made all kinds of money, billions of dollars, and he put a lot of his investment into strata launch systems, a big giant beast of an airplane that uh, basically is two fuselages and one major wing and six uh, very high bypass, you know, like 747 type of Pratt and Whitney's, I think on three on each wing. And uh, the whole design was to like um, attach a rocket to the center section between the two fuselages and uh, take off and then get up into the stratosphere, hence the strato launch name, and then launch the rocket from that point. And uh, so a lot of money put into this, a lot of design and and, uh, testing and everything else. And then the uh, Microsoft co-founder, Paul Allen, died pretty recently, uh, just a few months back or maybe last year. Oh, and I didn't even know that. He did. And I'm oh. thinking to myself, well, hmm, I'm wondering if this thing is just going to go away, even though there was a lot of money spent on it. But no, no, they kept uh, developing this thing. And the first flight of the aircraft occurred uh, not long ago. I'm trying to re- see what date it was. It doesn't matter. It was just within about a week or two. And there is a video um, that we'll include in the show notes. I don't think I put it in there yet. No, I haven't. But I'll make sure that I put that in the show notes uh, where you can see this thing taking off. Uh, I think it was out of Palmdale. And uh, and then they it came around, did a low approach, and then it landed again. I think the flight was, I don't know, under an hour. No, jet flew two and a half hours, achieving a maximum speed of 304 kilometers per hour, whatever that means, and altitudes <laughs> up to 5,181 meters, which is 17,000 feet. <laughs> Uh, this an American airplane? Uh, this is from the cbc.ca. Yeah, it was a Canadian. Liz, I think it, put, yeah, quit, quit putting the darn Canadian news sources in there. <laughs> That's Liz's We fault. don't understand the measurements. 
Help. Anyway. <laughs> we need conversion. Now, and- I, I've got a question about this yeah. airplane. Which fuselage does the pilot sit in? Do you actually have the captain in one fuselage <laughs> and the first officer in the other one? Or how does this work? I think there's only one active um, cockpit. Uh, although they, if you look at it, it looks like two separate cockpits. But I think one of them is not being used. I th- but I'm are they sure. both on the controls? That's what I was just going <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> that, That's a good question. I don't know. But uh, anyway. So look at this article, as a, and I'll include the video, which is very impressive because this thing is there. I think the wingspan of the thing is more than a football field, a, an American football field, which is 300 feet or uh, 100 yards. 100 yards. Yeah. yeah. Um, pretty, uh, pretty amazing. 97.5 meters for you all out there who don't use feet and yards. Um, anyway, um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, that was the uh, spruce goose. <laughs> sorry. Got a lot of wheels, too. 72.5 meters long. That's the length. Oh, shoot. Well, look at the darn article yourself, and you can figure it out. It's a big airplane. Mm. Yeah. And and it's very, I don't know, I would. it's kind of a homely-looking airplane, I would say, being two huge fuselages, two tails, and one wing and six engines. It's just an interesting looking airplane. It looks like conjoined twins to me, but. And it looks almost I... like a dinosaur or something. Something weird yeah. looking about it. Well, there's, a, there's a picture I found of, uh, of a model of a rocket slung between the two. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be interesting when they launch that damn thing, I'll tell you. Yeah. It's, it's almost as big as the fuselage is. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, they can get this thing to be, you know, workable solution in the future. Apparently it will. Mm. All right. And then finally, uh, item F, uh, we uh, c- kind of talked about uh, the um, airport in Nepal earlier on the show, uh, the airport that uh, John Picard um, flew into uh, when he went up to the uh, Everest base camp. Well, the airport they fly into is what's the name of it lukla 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 yeah lukla um and and we've talked about this and we it's like they call it the world's most dangerous airport and we've talked about incidents happening at this airport i think the last one we talked about was one coming in for final approach and basically uh crashed into a cliff just short of the runway uh but this one was a takeoff accident and uh a uh, very small, I, I would say a light twin, I think turboprop, I'm not sure, uh, took off and veered to the right almost immediately after they started their very short takeoff roll. And this runway is, <laughs> as soon as they start taking off, the thing just drops down like a, a very steep driveway. And it just started veering off to the right, hit a helicopter, killed a couple of people uh, standing around the helicopter and the pilot of this uh, airplane died as well, and uh, there are, is video that uh, Captain Nick sent me a link to. Then you can see it happening. You can see the previous. I think Nick, did you say the previous airplane took off fine? Yeah, an identical aircraft uh, the prior, and you see you can see what it's supposed to look like, and then the next guy taxes on, and you go, "Whoa!" <laughs> that's yeah, impressive. that's not how quickly he left the runway. I was going, "Whoa!" Yeah, just veered off yeah. to the right very, very quickly for some reason. So there's and, that. Uh, I'm very glad John got out just uh, uh, a day or two before. So oh, yeah, me uh, too. 
he picked the right airplane there. Well done, mate. Yes. Very well done. Well, he's an APG community member. Obviously. So he's smart. He knows very, yep. very yeah. smart man. Okay. Let's move on then to your feedback. Captain, incoming message. Hey, you know what? Let's do something a little bit different. Why don't we start off with this week's installment of Plain Tales? What do you think? Yeah. Sure. Miami Hick presents Plain Fables, narrated by Morgan Freeman. Beat that, Captain Nick. Today's Airbus started back in 1970, when some unknown crappy companies decided to merge and create one big crappy company. A new company needed a name. They wanted the horrible experience of riding a bus only in the air, so Airbus was born. The next thing was deciding what to make the plane out of. Aluminum and steel were hard to come by and very expensive. During a meeting, a high-ranking executive noticed a trash can full of water bottles. A light bulb went off, and the decision to make the plane out of recycled water bottles was made. The next hurdle was finding pilots who wanted to fly a plane made out of plastic. The only people dumb enough were young kids fresh out of flight school. They were used to playing video games, so a video game controller was installed instead of a yoke. So the next time you want to fly in the lap of melancholy, look no further than Airbus. Wait a, wait a minute, I'm sorry. I, I I misunderstood. I thought that that was this week's installment of Plain Tales. <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I'm texting the Airbus hitman right now. <laughs> I know where Miami Hick lives. So, I, it's, so it's so good to have Miami Hick back. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've missed you, That was you, great. Man. We missed you. Very good, sir. Very good. Ha, ha, he's, ha. With us, he's with us in the chat room. He says, that was all facts, by the way. <laughs> All facts. Yeah, the plastic bottles thing. Yeah, that was, mm-hmm. that's all true. All true. <laughs> you know, he's he has given you know uh, me and Dana a bad time about our Mad Dog airplane uh, uh, quite a bit. So it's just you know, yeah, but you it's just it. fair that he should talk about the. Airplane. We deserve it. Yeah. I don't think I don't think uh, Miami Hick has ever said anything negative about GA aircraft. Well. Well, <laughs> now you've given to me. <laughs> I, know, I, I think, I think the, next, the next uh, feedback will be um, all the positive things about GAR. Yeah, I'm sure. That and how they're is. far superior to <laughs> whatever things you fly. Yeah, fly they're so good you jump out of them. So, yeah, see? They or support you, all kinds of operations. Or you have a big giant parachute to get you out of trouble. Yeah, so when you're, uh, you know, over the Caribbean. and. Mm-hmm. It worked Things for them. Go wrong, go wrong. They got you know, and, yeah. and, and I thought about all of our conversations because I was actually looking for a, a book to read on Kindle, and there's actually a book out there: Boeing versus Airbus. I didn't realize there's a book, a complete written book, based on on the two. Yeah, I think um, Miami Rick wrote that book. 
probably. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that was the audio version of the book. Thank you, Miami Hick, for saving me the money for buying that book. Appreciate it. Well, thanks uh, for the for the uh, comedic. Uh, what comedic? It's really relief. Something relief. Comic relief. Yes, comic relief. There we go. Brent, we uh, Brent says he's writing it now. The uh, GA. Um, yes, I can. yeah. can't wait. Thanks, Brent, for doing that. That was awesome. I would say thanks, but I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. You know, he liked it, too. All right. Um, let's start <laughs> with I heard it. Very good. <laughs> yeah, item number one. Andy um, sent us some audio feedback. He's uh, Andy from the A320 podcast. He said, I just thought I would uh, put my two pence in about the WDL mix-up of destination and steering on the ground, something we talked about a, an episode or episode or two ago. So take it away, Andy. Hi, EPG crew. It's Andy from the A320 podcast. I've written in with some feedback before, but I thought this time I'd give you some audio feedback. Uh, this is in regards to the BA flight that landed at Edinburgh, operated by WDL Aviation. Uh, this was a City Flyer flight, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, British Airways. When uh, Captain Jeff was talking about how did the crew not know what flights they were doing, uh, the airline that I work for, let's call it Acme Tangerine, uh, we quite often get to work on a daily basis and find that we have a completely different schedule to the one that was planned and the one we've known about that we've got on our iPhone apps, etc. So it's quite common that it's we arrive at work and we get a complete reroute, as uh, you guys in America would call it. Um, I've made the mistake in the past as well of actually telling passengers the wrong destination, which is quite an easy thing to do when we do 20 plus flights uh, a week. We work a block of five days on, three off, five on, then four off. Unlike you guys in the States, we don't bid for flights. We have a sort of a fixed uh, work pattern that we operate in the left-hand seat at our airline. Um, the other thing as well, you, I couldn't blame the crew for what happened because it's pretty much impossible in UK and European airspace to file a flight plan and then fly the complete opposite. So if they had filed a flight plan to Dusseldorf, it would have been caught pretty quickly by the air traffic controllers that they were flying in completely the wrong direction. So in my opinion, uh, it must have been filed for Edinburgh. They must have had a clearance for Edinburgh. And ultimately, it was a mistake from British Airways or WDL's uh, flight plan department that they actually ended up in Edinburgh. Or a mistake on the part of uh, the ground handlers who put the wrong passengers on the wrong flight. So that's my thoughts on that. Uh, the other thing I listened to on the last episode was talking about uh, steering the aircraft on the ground. You both give um, great uh, information about that. The one thing I would like to add to that is that the whole aim of steering on the ground is that you keep the centre of the aircraft at the main uh, gear on the centre line. So we always oversteer the nose wheel to keep the main gear on the centre of the taxiway. Otherwise, if you keep, as you quite often see with new cadet pilots, they try and keep the nose wheel on the centre line. This causes the gear to be inside the turn, which could always uh, drop the gear onto the grass. So we try and avoid that. 
unfortunately on the 320 which is what I fly it's not that much of a problem the other thing as well on the 320 or the flyby wire steering on there it's actually logarithmic so the t further you turn the tiller the tighter the turn becomes very quickly so as Captain Nick was saying it's quite an art to get used to steering uh, an Airbus aircraft anyway that's enough for me Keep up the great work. Love listening to your podcast. Keeps me sane on the long drive to work. And uh, see you all later. Well, Andy, that's the reason why only the best pilots in the world fly Airbus. <laughs> right? But I've forgotten. All right, I, I knew about the logarithmic thing, but I forgot to mention it because I've been doing it for so long. Um, uh, you know, it had actually kind of slipped the mind that that it, it how it works. But yes, you're right. When you, you move the tiller a small amount, you uh, get a small amount of movement. But if you go to full deflection, that rate of uh, a movement of the nose wheel uh, increases, uh, as uh, he mentioned, logarithmically. So you can build up a very fast rate of movement um, in a short period of time if you're not careful so it does get a bit of used to uh, getting used to yep. that was kind of risky for him to use such a big word for the airline pilot guy show yeah but, logarithmic yeah yeah he's but just he, trying he to did, inject some uh, intelligence yeah, yeah did it work true. i don't mm. know did you understand what he was saying well if you want to hear a very intelligent show <laughs> you should listen to his, his podcast show, yeah. which is the a320 <laughs> podcast so thank you for uh, that andy and also the uh yeah the mix-up of the flight from uh wherever they were starting i've forgotten now to london to london to edinburgh edinburgh instead of dusseldorf yeah um yeah it all makes sense uh, same thing here you know if if the if the pl flight plan was filed and you got a, received a clearance for it obviously you started going a different direction than air traffic controllers here would do the same thing. Go, uh, where, where are you going? You know, that's not the right way. So. Wouldn't they just say, we're going to file a deviation or something? What is those magic yeah. words? Yeah. We're ready give to you a telephone uh, number. Here, let me give out. you this telephone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Possible pilot deviation. Oops. Write down this number. No, I don't want yeah. to. <laughs> no. Do I have to? Say Galicardia. I have, yeah. I have nothing to write to write with at the moment. <laughs> Sorry. Forgot a pen today too. All right. While typing your notes on your iPhone. Yeah. But sir, I'm not allowed to use my iPhone. I can't do play. that. That's dangerous. <laughs> it's yeah. dangerous. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Andy, for that. That was awesome. Um Kelly writes in saying, uh, greetings, APG crew. It's been a long time since I sent in any feedback. Rest assured, I haven't missed any episodes in that time. I may need to see my AME about a cure or treatment for the APG syndrome. Uh-oh. <sighs> I'm current. Okay. I'm coming there, there's, down. There's no cure. No, sorry, there Kelly. isn't. Not yet. We're still working on it. <laughs> Any experimental. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming down to the uh, ATL in early May to fly the 737 SIM at the Delta Flight Museum. And then popping up to the Uvar Hazi uh, on Acme 1442. Currently, the schedule shows it's on an MD-88, so I was hoping that Captain Jeff or Captain Dana would be my pilot. It's a late afternoon flight, so chances are it would be Dana. Either way, that would make my vacation. I'm hoping to fly into Stevens Point or Waukesha, Wisconsin? Waukesha? I'm not sure. For the big meetup in Oshkosh, I'm eagerly looking for more info on Slack. Keep up the good work. 
I also want to congratulate Captain Nick on his upcoming retirement. Clear well, skies and tailwinds. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah. that. Very and lovely. He makes yeah. the point. You know, we do have that Slack channel, the uh, Oshkosh 2019. And uh, I'm sure that'll fill up soon. Yes. Yeah. So um, I don't. he didn't really say what day he was going to be flying up no. to. Um, yeah, up to Dulles on flight 1442. And I don't, I'm not sure if I'm flying up there this next month or not. But uh, just be on the lookout for either Dana I or myself. I actually have a swap in right now. I, I just uh, put in for a Dulles overnight, and it was a uh, evening yeah. flight up to Dulles. So maybe we'll have Captain. There Dana. is there is a possibility. We'll yeah. see. That'd be cool if that happens. All right. Item three: We have some audio feedback from Jamie. Hello, APG listeners and APG crew, Captains Jeff, Nick, Dana, Doctor Steph, and Liz. This is Jaime Luque from Clovis, California. I'm a long-time listener, first-time contributor, if we can call it that. I've been in three meetups in San Francisco Bay Area with several APG syndrome sufferers. I moved to the U.S. four years ago from Honduras, where I was an Air Force pilot. I actually got my pilot training here in the U.S. in Columbus Air Force Base about 10 years ago. So far, I've been driving for, for a rideshare company while trying to find my way into a cockpit. And your podcast is keeping the fire alive. Thank you so much for it. Last December, I decided to get into an associate's degree in flight science at a community college here in Ridley, California. When I gave the program coordinator my background information, he basically offered me a position as part of the faculty. So right now, I am a ground school instructor and I teach a class in careers in aviation. I already have a timeline for going back into the wild blue yonder. So far, I've been uh, teaching juniors and seniors that get their some of ex some extra credit at the community college. And while while you guys were talking about rockets and ham radio, I decided to. It was the time to give some feedback. So, with the kids, we are building some rockets. We buy the uh, the basic uh, kit. But um, we have them uh, design the payload and the fins. They get really creative. They get with some uh, really crazy designs and they get inspired and they have fun. And that's uh, the best feeling in the world. Regarding ham radio, we have a high altitude balloon project that we're trying to get uh, to put together. And ham radio, it's a it's a very important part of, on it. Uh, we got a Raspberry Pi with uh, some GPS sensors and uh, and a radio transmitter that sends the signal to hand radio that we were able to source uh, through one of the members uh, of the team there at the college. Where uh, we receive the signal and we hook it up to a computer and we're able to track our uh, high altitude balloon in real time. Very nifty device. We're, we're capable even of um, getting uh, some photographs uh, through radio. So I think it's awesome and inspiring and everybody's really excited about it. Me included, myself included. I want to thank you for 
all the uh, all, all the laughs all the informative articles the 50% accuracy rate is um, top-notch 50% of the time and um, thank you for keeping this fire alive I think uh, I would have uh, lost my mind if uh, if it wasn't for you guys and I really thank you from my heart keep doing that great job that you're doing and keep inspiring people into follow their passions let it be aviation medicine uh, you know whatever it may be you you guys are very inspiring and you're doing a great service to you know our society I want to give a shout out to Landon Jen the man Dave Connie and Mike up in the Bay Area I miss you all Let's meet up soon. Best regards, Jaime Luque. Ah, Jamie, that is so nice to hear. So, um, nice. touches my heart to hear that kind of response from listening to our show. And uh, I miss those people up Northern California. What's wrong with you folks? You need to have another meetup. Yeah, I, I, I met uh, Jamie um, and he told me all about how he'd uh, done a lot of his flying training in the States and he was trying to get those, uh, hours flown, uh, with the USAF, uh, during his uh, training accepted towards, uh, the hours he needed to uh, get his various flight certificates. Uh, and I'm, I would like to know how he's got on with that. So yeah. send some more feedback in, uh, uh, Jamie, let us know uh, whether that was successful or not. But uh, you certainly sounds like you're progressing and getting uh, work as a ground instructor, as Dana will undoubtedly back me up. It's a great way to get a good grounding uh, in the industry and it's going to lead to better things, I'm sure. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's where I got my start. Um, well, not truly where I got my original start, but... Uh, certainly uh, you know fed my uh, fed my desire to leave that realm and become a, a pilot but uh, certainly uh, an unbelievable experience and opportunity so uh, good on you for that was well, Jaime also saying that we're really only accurate about 25 percent of the time 50. yeah i tried to 50%. ignore that bit Okay, I just yeah, like half of then. the fifty percent would be fifty you know, percent accurate. 50 he didn't actually say twenty five percent, but we understood what he was saying. <laughs> this Thanks is a, a show show for entertainment. Well, <laughs> what it actually means there's four of us, so one of us is completely one of us is fully accurate. Everybody else is rubbish. <laughs> well, fortunately, I'm here every once in a while. I'm here every once in a while, so that helps with our accuracy rating. Well, it's it's incumbent upon the listener to try and determine which one is the accurate presenter. Well, we could make a quiz, couldn't we? We could. We could. <laughs> Did he say? Uh, uh, so you, you said trivia night. His name yeah, is Jaime. Jaime. Okay, so I were already screwed up by saying Jamie. Sorry, Jaime. I think he. I, I think he works with either. Uh, Actually, since you mentioned that, Steph. Yeah. Uh, was it two weeks ago when, when I was on the show? Because yeah. of our conversation, I actually got a trivia night question correct. Woohoo! So, don't ask me what it was. I don't remember now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but see, even we learn stuff from our. Yeah, own we, show. we do. We, Actually, we it learn was, stuff from you all, and you make us uh, have to. 
you know, do some research. Right. Sometime. Why do you think we're doing this? Yeah. It's for our own edification, really. <laughs> That's right. Sure. So we become educated. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, the fact that he went through Columbus Air Force Base and he's from, he said Honduras, right? He's from um, Honduras. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a guy in my pilot training class from Honduras. And uh, he, when he graduated, he went to fly the, what is it, the F-37 or the, the model of the T-37 that had the, M, uh, the, uh, MD, the uh, T-38 engines in, yeah, so it was a pretty, pretty nifty little jet. I don't remember his name, but uh, same kind of deal. So mm-hmm. we're pulling for you, man. Thanks for uh, sending in that uh, very heartfelt feedback. We do appreciate it. Indeed. All right, let's move on then, and uh, shall we go with the uh, real plain tale? Let's do this first. I think it'd be more. There's fun. two in a row, right? Yeah, are, yeah. Did you do those first? Those? Yeah. Okay. okay, here we go. Um, Ivor writes in. Hello, all you dear, sweet aviation type people. I must make a confession. I got a couple of weeks behind on listening to your venerable podcast. A new job and a heavy dose of idleness on my part. (laughs) Idleness? Okay. But, well, what a pleasure to see the quality of the feedback rocket upwards after a long, long spell of frankly mediocre feedback. If it's not winging pilots, it's overstimulated, enthusiastic aviation fans. But the deadlock has been broken. And how? Welcome back, Miami Hick. And two weeks on the bounce. No nonsense and funny. Take note, you podcasty types. Bravo. Miami, Miami Hick. Sorry. <laughs> also, a few weeks back, you had feedback from a man of cloth. Always good to hear views from the ecclesiastical side of aviation. But real, but what really got my attention was that he is now plastering two churches. What a man! If you could ask him when he's finished with the churches, could he pop over to the McDonald Towers and plaster a couple of walls for us? I'm sure he'll do a fine job. After all, if he can plaster a church or two, uh, our small abode should be a simple task. Who would have thought of it? A plastering pastor. Oh, hang on. <laughs> yeah, I think he was pastoring two churches, I for not <laughs> uh, plastering. <laughs> Before I leave you, I must warn you that Toff About Town Tarquin has been mumbling about seeking advice from you chaps, whatever it is. Don't encourage him. May your tray table always fold and never travel naked. Hmm. Love and kisses, Ivor. Thank you. He was referring to the gentleman who was disrobing in first class. Apparently so. Yes. I think so. Uh, just a small correction. Yes. Jeff. Winging. A winging. So I wasn't sure Not because winging. he used the same word in another. Winging. Winging. Okay. So. Okay. Fair enough. Complaining. Complaining. Whining. Yes. Okay, so then, if, so that word spelled that way, I'm going to pronounce every time I see it in the future. <laughs> okay? Sure. And the reason why I'm saying that will come clear here soon. Oh, you hear that? It's the adventures of Tarquin. Ahoy, ahoy, APG people. Tarquin here. Seeking your esteemed advice, I've listened to your show occasionally, and you seem to get a lot of midlife crisis stuff from men, of course, from men, generally along the lines of, 
I've got a perfectly good job providing for my family, earning good money, but I want to toss it all away and seek out the supposed glamour of flying, whinging pissed-up passengers to such places as Ibiza. What's wrong with them? And you lot just go, oh, yes, great idea. Put your family at risk and become a pilot. As long as you've got a partner daft enough to support your ridiculous folly, these poor partners, who knows what they've got up, got to put up with. All of a sudden, they've got to work longer and harder to support this idiot, and they realize they are married to a bigger idiot than they first thought. What a blow to your self-esteem. Anyway, I've decided to have a chance of career myself. Yep. Anyway, I've decided to have a change of career myself. I don't require your advice. After all, I'm financially loaded, and Mrs. Tarquin does not care what I do. My work for queen and country is done. I can't imagine leaving the country, that country in better shape than it's in at the moment. And yes, I do fancy jetting around the world in a sleek-looking aircraft, mainly because I'm extremely handsome, and I'll look absolutely great in the uniform. Come on, you lot. These are the real reasons everyone gets into the flying game. Quite right, too. But I do need your guidance on who I should work for, some outfit that is classy enough to deserve my presence. I'm not going to fly for any old airline. One doesn't want to end up at something that we could describe as Acme scumbag. I'm actually worried that there isn't an airline good enough for me. Advise, please. Yours, Tarquin Wilberforce singing Snodgrass. Acme red. Oh, yeah. That's got to be it. No, I think, I, I think, class I think something with Royal in the name, like Royal Brunei. How about that? Mm. That sounds like a good good one. Yeah. Um, it's far, far enough Royal away Acme. from us that we won't be troubled by him. Acme Ego? Is there an Acme Ego? Acme Ego. Acme Ego, yes. Acme Superior. I think he needs to be flying for... Acme Superior, yes, there we go. That's more subtle. I like it. He needs to be flying for one of those sultans or kings over there in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Then he'll be satisfactorily high enough in his his uniform and esteem. Yeah, but one bad landing and you lose your job. That's the problem. Mm, uh, yeah, I hear they're very exacting. Really? Oh, yes. <laughs> wow. So in that first paragraph, uh, the uh, the word W-H-I-N-G-I-N-G. It's still whinging. Is Tarquin yeah. is not good at commas. Yes, he, he left out a few commas there. <laughs> it obviously is a bit beyond him to uh, use punctuation. It should, it should read out as, but I want to toss it all away and seek out the supposed glamour of flying, whinging pissed up passengers to such places as... It's Ibiza. Ibiza. Oh, so the passengers are the passengers are whinging and pissed up. Ah. He's yeah. flying those. Yes. yes. Okay. To this place hey, called Ibiza, which I've Ibiza. never heard of. Ibiza. Hey, hey, hey Tarquin. Ryanair's hiring. You got to yeah. start somewhere, man. You got to start somewhere. Just because your your uh, bridges are too big for your for your waistline, there, um, you got to start somewhere, my friend. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Ivor and Harkwin. And I do apologize for messing up that word. And so I just made the assumption that that was a mistake on his part. But of course, it was mine. 
again, that I wouldn't let him thing. off the hook on the commas there. I think that's yeah, being a little no, too no, generous. Give him a hard time, Jeff. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. I've, I've, um, uh, in the past, I'm kind of used to the the lack of commas from. Are Tarquin. you not the the grammar? Um, no, I don't so, care about no? grammar. You don't care anymore. No. <laughs> You've given up when, caring about grammar. I never have actually. I think the. He messed up a two in there too. If we're being really picky, I think two, English, two, two. English, 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 uh, a um, school system is starting to fail us as well. Yeah. Oh well. As long as we can communicate, that's all that matters. Now, speaking of communicating, something just awesome. It's now time for the best part of our show, which is, of course, the real Plain Tales. This one entitled "Disappearing into Thin." Error. The old pilot's plane tails disappearing into thin air. As Air Commodore Peter Taylor described it, it sounded pretty light-hearted. He was in Germany flying his Harrier, X-ray Victor 794, heading out to the second target of the mission and he glanced down into the small space of his cockpit to rearrange the maps he needed for the attack. No sophisticated satellite navigation back in 1972, not even an inertial reference system or moving map display. Just a paper map, stopwatch and compass. Bombing along at 420 knots, around 250 feet, when he looked back up, he saw a trio of birds flying straight at him. Bunting to avoid them, he missed two, but the third took a dive down into the large cheek intakes of the single Pegasus engine, causing an almighty bang. The engine had wound down to below idle, and at 200 feet, with the speed decaying rapidly, there were few options. With some wiring mechanical noises coming from the engine, he broadcast a quick mayday, without much hope that anyone would hear him from that height, and looked ahead for a safe area to dump the aircraft. Whilst considering his options, he exercised the throttle to see if he could get any response from the engine, but it sounded like it had suffered a catastrophic failure. The newspapers would praise him for avoiding a built-up area and the inevitable school or church, but in reality, he remembered saying to himself that he'd better get out soon or he was going to go in with the crippled aircraft. Pointing at what looked like some open ground, he had one quick last look around the cockpit. He was at a hundred feet and only two hundred knots. He trimmed the aircraft, gave his straps a quick tighten and pulled the handle. His Martin Baker Mark IX ejector seat worked perfectly and within a matter of a second or two he was dangling below his parachute and heading towards a field full of cows. He had time to try to steer his parachute away from a pile of concrete blocks before hitting the ground in fairly good order. The whole event had lasted less than 60 seconds. Looking up, 
to watch his aircraft make a large hole in the ground, he was astonished to see the Harrier continuing to fly away from him, climbing slightly. Apart from the lack of canopy and ejector seat, it seemed to be working perfectly, and eventually it flew itself into the cloud above him at around 7,000 feet and disappeared into thin air. Apparently, the pilotless Harrier climbed to over 20,000 feet and began to head towards the East German border. At the height of the Cold War, the RAF were anxious that their marvel of aviation technology shouldn't fall into the wrong hands, so fighters were scrambled to bring it down. It appears that a Luftwaffe F-104 may well have found the aircraft flying along quite nicely all on its own, but before any action could be taken, it glided down into southern Denmark, where it buzzed a farmhouse before landing in an open field. The aircraft had managed a 38-minute flight without a pilot. It would appear that the bird that went down the intake caused the engine to stall, but it became dislodged, possibly by the flame and gases from the ejector seat, and now getting a clear air supply, the Pegasus 100 promptly started behaving itself again, powering the pilotless fighter on its own private little journey. At least this story has a happy ending. Other aircraft that have flown themselves have rarely done so without some accompanying tragedy. It was some 16 years later when another Harrier, flown by the British Aerospace Sea Harrier Project test pilot, Taylor Scott, who was conducting a series of production test flights of a GR5, Zulu Delta 325, out of the production facility at Dunsfold Aerodrome in the south of England. There were some outstanding items to clear, particularly concerning the aircraft's oxygen system. Getting airborne late in the afternoon, Scott climbed into the Boscombe Down area and, talking to London military, he levelled at 30,000 feet and headed westwards. He was due to remain at that altitude for about 15 minutes, but after 20 minutes, without any calls to London military and still heading west, his controller tried to contact him without success. Many attempts were made to get Scott to respond, including asking other aircraft to relay messages, but nothing further was ever heard. Concern mounted as the Harrier continued to head westwards towards the Irish Sea and Southern Ireland, but a USAF C-5 Galaxy was in the area and agreed to be vectored towards the Harrier. Two more unlikely aircraft to be in formation, it's hard to imagine. A vast galaxy and a tiny Harrier, but the American crew were able to spot the fighter and close up into formation. The combination of aircraft holding hands seemed surreal enough, but what they reported raised the hairs up on the controller's neck. The Harrier appeared perfectly normal, except that there was no pilot aboard. The canopy was closed, and an empty ejector seat sat within the aircraft as it cruised along at 30,000 feet. 
They took photographs of the fighter and a video recording which clearly showed the ejector seat in place and the canopy closed. They followed the aircraft, which continued its relentless journey west until at a little past seven o'clock in the evening, it apparently ran out of fuel and slowly spiralled down into the Atlantic Ocean, 500 miles west of Southern Ireland. This accident, reminiscent of the most devious of Sherlock Holmes mysteries, flummoxed all involved until, sadly, the body of the pilot was found by a gamekeeper in a field on Salisbury Plain, not far from Boscombe Down Airfield, a day later. So, how on earth did the unfortunate test pilot end up departing from a perfectly serviceable aircraft without using his ejector seat and subsequently perishing? The inquest into Taylor Scott's death revealed that he was found with a very badly damaged parachute, which was still attached to him, and it was likely that he was unable to survive the landing. He was found with a broken arm, which probably occurred as he left the aircraft, but his other arm was in the parachute cords, probably trying to get it to deploy further and arrest his descent. A thorough examination found pieces of the canopy distributed along the aircraft's track. The aircraft itself, despite an extensive search, was unrecoverable from the depths of the Atlantic. From the limited information available, the investigators attempted to piece together the likely sequence of events. What was clear was that the ejector seat drogue gun had fired. The drogue gun normally fires after the ejector seat has left the aircraft and it shoots a metal rod upwards that pulls out the drogue, a small parachute, which stabilises the seat and stops it tumbling. At the correct time, usually passing 10,000 feet, the drogue is released from a scissor shackle that holds it to the top of the seat and then it pulls out the main parachute, which is packed into the head box of the ejector seat. As this happens, the pilot is released from the harness that previously attached him to the seat, and he would fall free to descend safely under the deployed canopy. Should this release mechanism fail to operate correctly, the pilot is free to use the manual release handle, which overrides the automatic system built into the seat and performs the same function that I just described. What had apparently happened was that the drogue gun had fired with the seat and pilot still in the aircraft, an unthinkable event. The drogue bolt would have punctured the top of the canopy, dragging the drogue out with it, which would have deployed in the airstream. Scott's seat harness would have been released, and his parachute would have followed the drogue through the broken canopy, dragging the test pilot out of his seat, through the inch-thick canopy, and away from the aircraft, probably causing severe injury. It was surmised that the parachute caught on a probe on the fin of the Harrier and may have hung there for a while before tearing free, shredding the fabric and rendering the parachute fatally damaged. 
The main reason for the firing of the drogue gun was the subject of much conjecture. It was extremely unlikely that it misfired due to an ejector seat failure, so other causes were examined. Three possible reasons were postulated. Scott's oxygen hose was found disconnected, and it is possible that he became hypoxic during the cockpit depressurization check. That was one of the test events he was required to perform, and he made a mistake. However, it was more likely that the hose became disconnected on impact with the ground, and this was discounted. Another test event was the selection of the emergency oxygen system. This handle is situated in a similar position to the manual separation handle that fries the drogue gun, but on the opposite side. It operates differently and is purposely shaped to allow recognition. Was it possible that the manual separation handle was pulled in error instead of the EO2 handle? Operating the manual separation handle requires the seat firing handle to have been pulled first since there is an interlock just to prevent inadvertent use. Considering Scott's ability, a test pilot of very high standing, it was not only unlikely but would have required three independent faults and errors. After extensive testing, it was discovered that the most likely cause was that the manual separation cartridge was fired inadvertently by a foreign object. It was discovered that the wander light, a movable lamp held by a clip, could have fallen down the side of the seat and lodged near the sear that fires the manual separation cartridge. Heading into a low sun and needing to see the central warning panel, it's likely that Scott lowered his seat to better see, and as the seat came down, the lamp distorted the rod leading to the sear, which pulled it free, firing the cartridge, and starting the chain of events that led to Taylor Scott's death. Although not conclusively proven, The Wonder Lamp clip was redesigned and Martin Baker fitted a guard around the possible area of vulnerability. The exact cause of this intriguing mystery will never be known for sure and at the inquest the coroner recorded an open verdict. The final accident in this trio is something that I myself might have succumbed to having once got airborne in an F-18 with my oxygen hose disconnected. I was lucky in that my regular RIF hypoxia training kicked in. I recognised the symptoms and solved the problem. Sadly, this is not always the case. Not long after I left the Australian F-18 Hornet Force, a pilot was climbing to height to return to his base at Tyndall in the Northern Territories. He had already been at altitude before descending to low level to conduct a target attack, and with his wingman he was on his way home. During the climb he made a normal radio call at around 22,000 feet, whilst he continued up towards his target cruise level of 33,000 feet. For reasons unknown, he momentarily levelled at 28,000, but then continued upwards. However, 
he failed to stop the climb at 33,000 feet and continued higher. Both his wingman and air traffic control called him, but he failed to respond to any radio transmissions. Now above 37,000 feet, his wingman closed up and saw, for the first time, that his leader was slumped forward with his oxygen mask off. The aircraft continued eastwards, and despite everyone's best efforts, it proved impossible to raise the stricken pilot. Eventually, short of fuel, his wingman was forced to break off and head back to Tyndall to land. The F-18 continued to slowly climb until it reached 46,000 feet and went beyond Tyndall's radar limit. It was assumed that it crashed at some point several hundred miles east of the base when, fuel exhausted, it would have come down. Indeed, some three years later, the crash site was found in a remote area and its pilot, Cameron Conroy, was finally laid to rest. The aircraft had been completely destroyed and was unable to contribute to the original findings. During the investigation, it was revealed that Cam, as he was known to his friends and colleagues, had a habit of flying with his oxygen mask removed. He discussed with others how he thought that it was unnecessary to wear the mask all the time since the cockpit pressurization was normally around 8,000 feet and even when flying his fighter at 30,000 feet it still only reached around 12,000 feet. With a cabin altitude that low it would be unlikely that he would have suffered from hypoxia and he didn't feel in danger. Sadly, it appears that on the day prior to his crash, Cam's aircraft had been worked on by engineers who, according to their procedures, would have selected the cabin pressure switch to the dump position. Had this selection not been corrected by the pilot during his pre-flight checks, the cockpit would not have pressurized. So when Cam removed his mask, had he not checked his cabin altitude indicator, nor felt the physiological effects of the reduced pressure, he would have been unaware that he was placing himself in mortal danger. As he climbed into the rarefied atmosphere at high level, his time of useful consciousness would have only been a few minutes at most. A short time after dropping his mask, he would have fallen unconscious and a while later passed away while his aircraft continued climbing further into the thin air. This incredibly sad event, for Cam was a much-loved and admired man, reminded all who took for granted flying in a hostile environment that the consequences of inattention can be deadly. These consequences are not just restricted to military pilots, though, as we will discover in the very next plain tale. What a tease! <laughs> I'm always... Well, a- amazed at how these stories uh, t- 
turn out when an airplane, is, a pilot departs an airplane and the thing just keeps on flying on its own. <laughs> like, it's like, it's fine. I got this. Just yeah. Continue. I didn't need you. Yeah, yeah, I know. Even something like a fighter, which is capable of, uh, you know, very hard maneuvering, can be inherently stable and will just happily trog along for ages. So, yeah. Interesting. I can't wait till we hear part two. How many parts are there? Oh, well, there's only part two. I mean, it was uh, it was a uh, a series of um, these kind of weird events of airplanes disappearing into the bundu uh without anyone on them they're, they're, some of them are pretty sad <laughs> yeah so i can imagine yeah. yeah i i can think of a couple of uh civilian uh, yes. instances one, one comes to mind. Oh, that's that's what we're getting next week uh, okay excellent not give it away then okay well we look forward to hearing the next installment thank you captain nick thank you not quite as good as the other one that uh, we heard earlier in the show, but no, no, you're right. Now I think I ought to give way to uh, that uh, that new historic. Um, <laughs> um, uh, what, what could we call him? Uh, mm. Historic. Mm. Idiot. Not sure what no, to call um, him. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> hysteric. Hysterical. Hysterical. Yeah. Hysterical. 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 Yes. <laughs> okay. A hysterical podcaster, yes. Plain, plain fables, yes. That's what it was. <laughs> plain yes. fables, yeah. Yes. All right. Um, let's move on uh, to item six. Uh, Derek writes, my second bit of feedback in as many weeks. Wow. After listening to another one of Nick's amazing plain tales about the courageous and sad story of Nirja Banat, or is that the right way to pronounce it? I, I, think, I think it is, yes. Okay. The stewardess who helped save passengers and gave up her life during the hijacking of Pan Am Flight 73. I was so interested, I want to, wanted to find out more about this tragic event. So I Google, Googled her name, found that there is in fact a film made about the incident as recent as 2016. The film yeah, is just... I knew, sorry. No. I was just going to comment. I knew about the, the movie, but mm -hmm. um, it was slightly controversial. Oh. Movie. Uh, in that it was so controversial that the um, Pakistani uh, government forbid its being played in Pakistan, the oh. location uh, of the hijacking. So uh, that was one of the reasons I didn't mention it. Okay. Because, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I haven't seen it myself. I'm, I'm not sure how true to life it is. So uh, it, it's a kind of Bollywood thing. So, uh, uh, Well, Derek apparently is not a afraid of the pakistani government no 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 and uh, and i'm i'd be interested to know uh if someone uh you know watches it well how they think it it is true to life but uh well he says that, that film is just called nirja yeah and he said i think it's a nice tribute that's good there you go and he searched on uk sky tv found it was actually showing this weekend saturday the 30th of march of course that was a little while back he said i'm sure that by uh, you, the time that you do this on your show, it's going to be too late for some viewers, but I wanted to let you know that the listeners know it's out there and I'm sure that they can be found, that it can be found through other means. I'm looking forward to seeing it as it does have good reviews, except for the Pakistani government. Hopefully you can catch it sometime. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of one stars and, and worse. And would not recommend. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I'm assuming that it perhaps doesn't uh, portray the Pakistani authorities in a good light. Probably yeah, I would, I would guess that, yeah. Yeah, yeah probably I mean, nothing negative probably about... exception to that, yes. Probably nothing negative about Nirja, uh, more <laughs> no. about their involvement in the episode. Yeah. All right. Um, this was a nice one. Joe uh, wrote in. Um, does somebody want to read this one? Sure, I can do that. Uh, Joe says, hi, APG crew. Hope you're all well. I'm pretty new to this podcast and an interest in aviation in general, as I've only just started a new job in a related field that has required me to study up on the subject. Unfortunately, an ironclad non-disclosure agreement means that I can't tell you guys a whole lot about my work. Oh, don't worry. You you can tell us. Yeah, we 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 won't tell anyone. We won't tell anyone. Nobody watches. We won't mention to anybody else. I mean, we'll just say it here amongst the four of us. Yeah, that's yeah. And some yeah, friends. Cool. And then we'll, you know, throw away that key. Um, but what I can tell you is just how interesting and entertaining you've made this subject for a complete outsider. I really appreciate how you all approach the subject with passion and good humor. Also, as an Englishman, it's great to hear the dulcet tones of a fellow countryman. I won't take up too much of your valuable time, but just wanted to reach out to say thanks for your efforts in making this subject more accessible. All the best, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Valuable time. I have nothing better to do with my time. (laughs) This is the most valuable part of my time during the week. Yes, absolutely. We're doing society a favor. And and I won't mention that I'm half Australian. Yes, no. Oh, but you just did. Oh, damn. No, just amongst the the four of us. It was just amongst the four of us. Yeah. No one, one, no one, no. Joe won't have heard that. Well, okay. When we do this on the show, don't mention that you're half Australian. Okay. Okay. Fair okay. Because <laughs> this is just the rehearsal, right? Yes. Well, yeah. Like we've rehearsed so much. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't get this level of perfection without a dress rehearsal. No. No, no. no, no we'd be way Produ- below Pre-production 50%. meeting. <laughs> we have rehearsals and rehearsals and then more rehearsals. Exactly. Until we get it right. Which That's is always why. wrong. That's why sometimes it takes us so long. That's why the show is still going. Yeah. And, and why we're week? late. Just we're, rehearsal. We're rehearsing. <laughs> They've had 370 rehearsals now. And uh, one of these yeah. times we'll get it right. Yes. Maybe. Well, we still don't get it right. No. All right. Moving on with Jacob. Hey, PG crew. This is Jake in Salt Lake. It's been a little while since I've left some feedback, but a lot has changed actually since I've left feedback last Last time I left feedback, I was flying aerial survey, and I have since gotten a new job. I'm starting as a second-in-command on a Citation CJ-4 here for uh, Air Medical Company in Salt Lake City. My question, uh, probably more direct to Captain Dana, what's the biggest differences when going from, say, a Cessna 172 to a jet that has an FMS? This will be the first airplane that I've flown that has an FMS, and it's the first jet that I've flown. So... Any advice, I appreciate. As always, clear skies and tailwinds, Jake in Salt Lake. I love Jake from Salt Lake. It's perfect. Jake from Salt, Jake Lake. Salt Lake. Yeah. Although it also kind of reminds me of that like State Farm commercial. Yes. Up in the middle of the night, like, who are you talking to? It's Jake from Jake. State Farm. <laughs> I'm wearing khakis. She sounds hideous. <laughs> Sorry. Then she's usually the hottest girl around. The ones that are really hot, you don't want to see. No, I, I do love I'm that. I'm glad commercial. Jeff got the uh, reference. Yes, <laughs> I love that. I love okay. that. E- even I've seen that. Uh, <laughs> Have you seen that commercial? That ad. Yep. 
like it. All right. Well, I don't watch TV in about two months, so I have no idea. What oh, this was about. like oh, a long time a, ago. Old, months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Years ago. Year ago. Probably. Well, I probably haven't watched it since then either. <laughs> well, anyway, Sorry. enough of your excuses. Let's uh, yes. answer this question, Dana, for Jake. Hey, Jake. Listen, uh, my first experience to a uh, jet was actually very similar to what you're about to experience. And that is, I went from flying props to flying uh, in the right seat in a Citation 1, a CJ1, actually, which is the T-tail version of the Citation. And uh, it is, the first thing that was kind of struck me is that you don't have to do a run-up. Oddly enough, that sounds kind of weird, but, um, you know, in prop airplane, you have to sit there and do the run-up, do the mag check, do all the, the checklist items. Of course, in the jet, you have to do the same thing. You have to do checklist items, but no run-up. Um, the biggest difference is, is the speed at which things happen. So you're going to take off, and uh, when you go airborne, next thing you're going to notice is you're landing, and you're still probably at the departure airport, at least mentally. Um, so it, it, things happen a lot quicker. You have to uh, be more reactive, and it's going to take you some time to adjust. Now, you did actually ask a specific question, what it's like going from G8 and, and then using an FMS. Um, you know, the FMS is really just a visual representation of the airways that you've been flying. So it just allows the autopilot to to engage in or you yourself obviously to engage in the uh, rnav world and using uh, radio navigation uh, via a picturesque uh, a telescope or a scope per se so um, all you have to do is think about your uh, instrument world and let's say you're going from a vor to a vor via an airway and that's now depicted in front of you instead of you having to imagine it via radio uh, dials and of course i don't know what your uh, general aviation aircraft had i mean it could have been a a more modern gps uh, let's say like a, a garmin or a ups stack so that would be very similar to what the FMS is, is very much like. So, you know, the biggest piece of advice I can give to you is congratulations. Enjoy the ride because you're beginning to experience what it feels like to move on with your level of experience, uh, increasing your uh, career uh, expectations and uh, moving to the next level because going to a jet aircraft is really the next level and it really is a great feeling you're going to be euphoric you're going to when you, the first flight that you take on the thing you you know as i say you're not going to be there per se but you're going to be there you're going to be oh my god this is better than most experiences in life and so my my sincere congratulations to you uh welcome to the uh, jet age uh welcome to the club and uh i really truly enjoyed uh, my first several flights uh, in that uh, 525 Whiskey Mike, which was the tail number of the CJ1, um, which is the uh, T-tail version. With that. I think the citation calls it a Mustang now. So anyways, uh, lots of fun. Um, and then, you know, the world's your horizon. You know, you you, you build that experience in, in the jet. You get, you, you're logging that uh, jet time, and then uh, things start to open up for you. Very good. Anything to add, Steph? No, just congratulations. All right. Did you do that for me? Really? Yeah, I'd like that. Who are you talking to? Uh, it's Jake 
from State Farm. Sounds like a really good deal. Jake from State Farm at 3 in the morning? Who is this? It's, it's Jake from State Farm. What are you wearing, Jake from State Farm? Uh, khakis. She sounds hideous. Well, she's a guy, so... <laughs> She's a guy. So. She's, yeah, she's a guy. So. <laughs> That's the bad part. Well, she's a guy. So <laughs> she sounds hideous. <laughs> she sounds hideous. <laughs> I'm sorry. Couldn't help myself. Sorry for that diversion there. That was. <laughs> yeah. Ah, anyway, good stuff. All right. Well, since somebody or nobody <laughs> has anything to add <laughs> to that, thanks for sending in that feedback, Jake from Salt Lake. And, uh, she sounds hideous. We are we are sure that you are not Jake, <laughs> different, totally different, Jake. Yeah. Are you sure though? I mean, mm. I all right. Connor writes in, uh, "Hey, APG and crew, just wanted to let you know that I have just discovered you guys from my flight instructor at a 141 school here in Illinois. I enjoy the podcast you guys put out. If you ever want some perspective of what us ramp rats do." And why we do things the way we do things, let me know. I'm a trainer for a major ground handling service for a legacy airline. I'm excited to hear more from you guys. And then he sent us some, uh, some follow-on feedback. Hey, sorry for more feedback, but I'm listening to episode 366, and I just heard the feedback about the rampers and the incidents that are happening. Like I stated before, I work for a major ground handling service for the same airline Jeff works for, and Dana. Uh, for Acme, except we are contracted for Acme to handle their aircraft. And some insight as why we like to have fun is because we like to see our passengers smile, and I feel like it's a way for us to interact with them. As far as the incidents increasing are concerned, more than likely it's because we are way underpaid and get hardly any raises. Since contracted Acme got sold and are now owned by a non-airline, our flight benefits have been somewhat taken away, so the morale of Acme contract has gone down, and a lot of small stations that handle Acme and its connection flights are taking a hit. It is hard to, uh, to see us being this way, as I do take pride in what I do, and I am trained in almost every part of the job except lav lavatory service. That's good. Uh, hope this puts some insight on why incidents have been happening more and more. I wouldn't say because we're having fun, but more because our QOL, which is quality of life, has gone down a lot recently this year. Thanks, Connor. Hey, Connor. Just to let you know, I am and was an instructor teaching people how to operate the lavatories as well. Um, I've, I've been in your shoes. I know what it's like. It's a very difficult uh, uh, position to be in. It's very hard to keep the morale up, especially when you're out there on the ramp working, uh, you know, in in very cold conditions with cold rain, um, in very hot conditions, sweating. There are a lot of situations uh, that I'm, I'm I'm very well accustomed to uh, working on the ramp, especially uh, in the Boston area with uh, the winds whipping off the, the ocean. So I get it. And uh, unfortunately, I was involved with the move over from. Uh, our own employees over to contract employees, the, the contract company in, in which you are, are reference, referencing. Now it's saddening, saddening me, if I can say that out loud properly, to hear that, that uh, those types of contracts are now ending as well. 
and you know a lot of people do come out for the uh, the the benefits of of having the the travel and uh, you know the low pay it is I'm not going to say it's 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 unfortunate but you know you've got to take you know the pay with with the level of experience uh that you need to have to work in that position so um I've been there done it understand it understand that you know the way you feel and uh, the fact that you take pride in what you do is is very telling uh and there there this is a building block we all have resumes that we've built up and this is a building block especially if you want to continue in the aviation business so keep your head up high take passion and and, and continue to care about what you're doing and i get what you exactly what you're saying with the lack of uh of people having um the feeling of pride in what they do because there's really no reward at the end of the rainbow other than the fact that they're you know you're getting a paycheck so um that's the way companies operate. That's just not just in the airline business. That's just companies. What? I mean, morale's going down just because your pay is going down and your benefits are decreasing? Come on. Yeah, come on. I mean, it's, go, go go figure that one. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, just, just keep your head up high and continue to do the best job you can. It sounds like there's a uh, end goal there. He's at a 141 school. So oh, yeah. I think keep working towards, uh, towards those goals. Absolutely. And, and I am living proof. Right here, living proof, sitting on this podcast. And we have I'm, some videos of uh, Dana out there dancing when he's doing the wing walking. Thing. Yeah, you, you, I mean, I can show you those for photos. He has some moves, man. There's a reason why they fired me on the ramp because <laughs> I just did not know how to dance. <laughs> so, Jake, send us some videos of you doing your dancing thing. Jake or Connor? Connor. And Connor. Jake, tell Connor, the guy that just sent in that last feedback. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on Jake from Salt Lake. <laughs> My bad. Connor. Ah, forget it. Okay. I think we should move on before I dig myself into a digger, bigger hole. A digger hole. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Yes. Okay. This is great. I don't know if you guys have had a chance to see this video. Sent in from Mr. Mark and Luke Heffer. But I'm going to play it. I'm going to play the audio, but you're going to. Go to the show notes that are right there associated with this episode, and you're going to click on the button so you can actually watch the video, which is precious. Airline pilots, my question is, how does the planes keep the oxygen for the passengers, and where where does the carbon dioxide go? Okay, so that that was not Mark, that was Luke. Um, and does it have his age on here? He's seven. Seven. Yep. Yeah. And there's a, a very cute video of him asking the question about oxygen and where does the carbon dioxide go? So who wants to take this one? Sounds like a good one for Nick to answer. Nick. Yes. Our oxygen and carbon dioxide expert. <laughs> <laughs> well, young man. Uh, it, it doesn't go anywhere. It's the same air that you breathe when you're sitting on the ground. Uh, and we just squeeze it in a little uh, tighter into the fuselage and increase the pressure so that whilst the airplane's up there in the very thin air, you're still breathing air that's uh, uh, nice and concentrated. So there's plenty of oxygen, and the carbon dioxide does what it does when you're on the ground. It, it 
drifts around and disappears out of the back of the airplane. So you don't want to worry about that. And uh, uh, if I were you, uh, I just remember that above your head is an ice oxygen mask. And uh, if you ask the cabin crew nicely, they'll put a pin in the hole and make it deploy, and you can suck on it all you like. <laughs> Do what now? Okay, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, There's the title the of the train. show right there. You can <laughs> suck it as much as you like. <laughs> and and just oh, wait, does, uh, <laughs> does Mark have a question? Yeah, he does. Oh, Thank you, Steph. Hi, APG. It's Dad here. Uh, thanks for answering our family's questions. Um, here's my one. So, have you ever been flying along looking out the uh, cockpit and you've seen some great sort of bit of landscape, big lake, I don't know, park, interesting building, and thought, I really would like to visit there? I've gone out your way to visit. And have you ever been disappointed or really excited about what you find? Thanks very much again for answering our questions and keep up the good work. See you all all soon. Cheers, guys. I think the only thing that they've been disappointed about, Mark, is actually when they met me in real life. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, The only thing I'm disappointed in is that Luke's wearing a a hat from one of my competitors. I see that. Well, just don't. But in the video, he's not. Oh, okay. What's he wearing in the video, then? No hat. Well, it's too late now. I've seen the hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a picture of Luke in a uh, Airbus, looks like a A319 cockpit, wearing a hat from another airline, who shall not be named. Nick, I yeah. don't know why you care so much. You're basically retired. I, 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 I'm caring for six weeks, then I won't get okay. Okay. Good. Six more weeks of caring. Yeah. Just in general. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to wear a hat, wear a proper hat. So what about Mark? The dad? Even the captain's hat. I mean, what was well, the my captain's? Hat. <laughs> flat, flat Let's get hat. off the hat thing and answer Mark's question. <laughs> Go back to Mark's question. Come on. What was the, what was the question again? What was the question here? <laughs> I don't I know. Forgot. All I can see is a hat. <laughs> play, uh, play the question again. Let's start this one over. Seriously? Do I have yeah. to go back and play the question? Yeah. No. No. No? Yes. He was talking about we, we're looking down, we see these places. Uh-huh. From the air, and then we go down and look at them, and then are somewhat disappointed. Disappointed. Well, I can't usually see them because they're covered in cloud. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or, or it's night. Nick is here. mostly just flying across the ocean, so yeah, you know, the landscape is is dark. Yeah, I mean, sometimes when you you come down and uh, you see a nice place full of palm trees, that's that's quite nice. But sometimes you come down into gloopy, horrible pollution. And you think to yourself, this place is going to be horrible. And you spend two days there and it's so gray and coughing and everyone's walking around wearing masks. And and you think to yourself, what have I landed here for? I just want to go home and breathe some nice clean air. Well, Liz has corrected us. He asked whether they were, we are disappointed or excited when we actually see the real place. I was trying to get you to play it again because mine cut out briefly oh, there well, the audio. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, I got the gist of the question. No, now. Steph, I, I got to play it again for you. Okay, here we go. <laughs> play it again, Sam. Hi, APG. It's Dad here. Uh, thanks for answering our family's questions. Um, here's my one. So, have you ever been flying along looking out the uh, cockpit 
and you've seen some great sort of bit of landscape, big lake, I don't know, park, interesting building, and thought, I really would like to visit there. I'm going out your way to visit, and have you ever been disappointed or really excited about what you find? Thanks very much again for answering our questions, and keep up the good work. See you all, see you all soon. Cheers, guys. Okay. Yes. Understood it now. Sorry. Okay. So I actually have pictures of a place I would like to visit that I have not had a chance to yet, and I hope I would not be disappointed by it. Let's see if it shows up on. Can you see that there? Just oh. very stunning. It looks, it looks underwater. It, well, kind of, but I, I just want to see if the colors of the water are the same from land as they were from, from the sky. They're not. Be interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah, probably They're not. not. No, I think actually these are so bright and so vivid that I think it would be beautiful on the ground. They're also. not. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Fine. Be- because, are, because well, maybe I would be disappointed it, and then I could answer. It, 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 it's still it's still beautiful. And, and, and take it from somebody that's seen a lot of uh, what you just showed on the screen from a, a dive boat perspective. Mm. What you see from the sky is uh, infinitely more beautiful than in, 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 don't get me wrong. It's very beautiful from the sea level, but your perspective is of a bird's eye view versus a, uh, you know, a short of an eye, maybe, maybe you can see a half mile. So mm-hmm. what you're seeing in, 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 in contrast is what makes that so beautiful. Whereas if you look out, you see beautiful turquoise water, but you're only seeing a very short distance. So you're not getting the full perspective. Yeah. This one just intrigued me because it, it it does look very shallow there. So, um, would the color look the same though from, well, I don't know, but I'm just wondering how, how, if it's also beautiful in its own way, like it's someplace I would really like to go back to on the ground. It will certainly be very beautiful in, in person at that level, but you perspect, I mean, that photo, it tells me it's all Sandy bottom. That's when I saw that photo, that's all I'm looking at. So it's telling me probably Bahamas. Uh, it's actually Cuba. Cuba. So uh, that's the same type of area. But like a very yeah. remote part of Cuba. Well, there, there is the Garden of the Queens, which is a completely different podcast. Okay. <laughs> so. Which will be coming on right after this one. So stay tuned after this podcast ends. All right. So now we're going to set on the get. No, I'm like it. <laughs> just kidding i don't i don't even know Only what that kidding. podcast is he's talking about anyway uh let's see about scuba heavy thank you very cute again um mark and luke uh are just precious Mo- more luke than mark sorry sorry mark uh but please watch the video that they sent in i mean they took the time to ask the question via video which is amazing so thank you for that and uh and i hope i answered that properly i was trying to think about it oh you did it's the same air. It's the same air. We just yeah. pressurize it in the airplane so that you don't, it doesn't get so thin you can't breathe it properly. Right. We and don't inject carbon, it with oxygen or anything else. It's just, no, we don't. Yeah, and the carbon air. dioxide goes to the same place it does when you're in your house. It just goes out through the windows. In our case, it goes out through a little hole in the floor. That's all. Right. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same ratio. It's 21% oxygen. The rest of it's... Uh, mostly nitrogen. Most, ni- mostly nitrogen and you know a few other inert gases yeah so. just under higher pressure to keep the same partial pressures at delta p yes i was, oh, trying, to, I was trying to avoid all that stuff because he's like seven <laughs> what'd you say uh stuff i said delta p 
Thank you. <laughs> yes, but clearly he's a very smart child. He so is I think a smart he child. Will. Oh yeah, he'll, he'll understand the partial pressure. Partial well, he can't be that smart if he's listening. If he's listening to the podcast, <laughs> no, his dad's making him listen to it. Obviously, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, no, probably <laughs> actually smart. I can probably punishment. He's probably been a bad boy, and he's been made to listen to the podcast. Yep. <laughs> this is torture. Three hours for him. He's saying, yeah. "Daddy, oh, why do I have no, to listen no. to this awful podcast?" Yeah, that. <laughs> You must. <laughs> All right. Uh, continuing on, let's skip to 13. Uh, just started the YouTube 368 and heard Nick mention Slosh Kosh. I think somebody in the chat room came up with that. I just wanted to put a little water on that fire. No, excuse me. He said, I just wanted to put a little, little water on that fire. That name was already unofficially used for the air show about four or five years ago when we had a deluge flooding on one or two of the nights, and the grounds were flooded out in some parts. I have pics of one display area where a bunch of nice sports cars were standing in two feet of water. Those Mustangs and Corvettes looked so sad. The biggest issue was where to park thousands of planes, as some of our areas were too soggy and didn't dry out quickly. Anyway, continue the good work, and hopefully I'll get to meet yous over at Margaritaville sometime during the show and he has a picture included and we'll put this in the show notes of these sad looking mustangs in this particular picture this is from mark fillet altergot or fillet this was gonna be a holiday a nice place sunshine and well so it's I'm, wisconsin i'm wondering so i hope that our what? rv is not in the middle of this flooded situation what well, hey, Nick, I We're have to pop. warn you that yeah. the mosquitoes up there all have their own transponders. They're so big. Oh, mm. my God. I hate mosquitoes. I do, too. They bite me to death. We'll just, we'll just keep ourselves barricaded inside the RV. <laughs> With the AC on the whole time. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Oh. This is very comfortable. I don't People know why you guys are door. so miserable out there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, we haven't seen any airplanes, but... No. We can hear them. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds lovely. Sounds beautiful. Why so, would they hold an air show in a mosquito swamp? I don't think they thought about the mosquitoes, Nick. Damn. Sorry, you you got me there under false pretenses. I don't. They're not going to be that bad. Let's don't talk anymore about the mosquitoes. Look, I used to Wisconsin, live in a place where if you July got bitten by more than six mosquitoes at the same time, they could take off and carry you away. <laughs> well, then you're going for the ride to the moon, my friend. Well, we're going to just have to. We're going to have to slather ourselves with a lot of bug juice. That's all. You have to put a lot of deet on bug juice. Oh, jeez. Uh, listen, Nick, you're not going to care because you're going to have a slosh, slosh fest. Yeah. I don't care if they used it before or not, Mike. We're, we're going to coin the term. Taking it over. Yes. Appropriating it. Appropriating. It yes. What a lovely word. All right, Nick. No, not Nick. Liz, how are, how are we doing here? Are we getting close to the end? Uh, six minutes ago, she said 10 minutes left. Hmm. So, so that means four. about four. Okay. Yeah. I would have said requisitioning, by the way. Pardon me? We're not done yet. What are you talking about? Requisitioning. Requisitioning? Uh, requisitioning. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's better than appropriating. Ah, uh, whatever. Mm. Um, um, it's quick <laughs> at the end. This one's too. Stefan is too wordy. Mike's too wordy. 18. 18. 18. Okay. Sorry. Yes. 
Uh, hello, APG crew. I was the one also purchasing a losing Powerball ticket two weeks back when I met Dr. Steph. He says I lost. Dr. Steph was close with my name, but she didn't get it. She had the first and last letters and the correct number of letters. So I will count that as three out of four. Well above 50%. Woo. Yes. Way to go. Here. That deserves. Yes. All right. Uh, my name is Paul, P-A-U-L, but Phil sounds like a good alias when I'm in South Carolina. Bonus question for Dr. Steph to go four out of five. What brewery in my area did I mention? You mentioned the Aviator Brewing Company, which is in Fuquay, Verena, which is near Raleigh and was founded at the uh, Triple Whiskey uh, Airport, which is Five Whiskey Five. And they are no longer brewing out of there specifically, but it is a wonderful um, brewing establishment. Are you and are you reading like Wikipedia or something? No. No, I'm 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 just realizing now that it doesn't really matter what I say for my intro for drinking because Dr. Seth has now trumped me. <laughs> yeah. Liz, Liz has it correct here. She says, sure, she remembers the beer stuff, just not your name. <laughs> now we know where Steph's priorities are. Exactly. The backstabber beware. I Although met this person. A, I don't remember if it was a guy or a girl, but yeah, it, I, I, I do remember the brewery. Um, I don't remember if we specifically talked about the Hogwild IPA or not, but a fine IPA by the Aviator Brewing Company. Actually, I have um, a couple of their T-shirts and some of their pint glasses, so I am well familiar with this uh, with this brewery. Excellent. Yeah. I could right, say, so, say so many things on that. I'm just going to not. I'm not going, I'm not going there. So he you says, keep up the great shows. Maybe someday the APG crew can get a team for... Have you heard of this? Uh, help to fundraise plane pull? I have not, actually. S-O-N-C. So that must be Southern North Carolina? <laughs> what? No. Okay. Got to click on this. Pardon? Special Olympics. Oh, cool. Oh, this is just what a guy with a bad back needs to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nick will have to. Count me in. Nick will be a commentator. This is yeah. a unique Which is what he's very good at. And <laughs> Steph will have her injections ready. I'll have them, yeah, just lined up, ready to go. Okay, I see these teams pulling uh, a regional jet made by uh, a company located in Canada. Why does one need a team to pull a regional jet? I can do that myself. Oh, well, then you're going to be our team leader. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, yeah. Yeah. This is fundraising uh, activity for the Special Olympics of North Carolina. Oh, well, this we one, should really do that. That'd be fun. 27 this year. But okay. I don't know if we're on, in time for this year, but uh, maybe Probably next year. not. We had to plan ahead. Yeah. I don't know that we could make it there in 11 days' time, but. Probably not. Next year, when Nick's retired and his back is, you know, in, yeah, well, in better order. In, in, and she's and he's flying over the ocean to come see Dr. Seth get fixed. Yeah. 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 Well, just needs to come visit North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the mosquitoes. Um, I spray my yard for mosquitoes. We do so have mosquitoes here. in the south. That's that's true. Yeah. My yard is well protected. Every twenty no mosquitoes. No mosquitoes in the lake. Spray, because otherwise it would be unbearable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, sounds lovely. Yes. That's very nice. Very lovely. Okay, folks. 
that's it. We're going to end the show. We, we have a couple more here in the feedback folder that we'll move on to the next one, uh, including questions about medical diversions from Jake and boarding the wrong plane from David. And uh, Robert sent us in some stuff and more. Yeah, maybe yours next Mike time. Mike sent in his life story. Yes, regarding mm-hmm. Army and Army Guard path to flight School. This is good, though, because it answers some questions yeah. that we were not able to fully answer. Very good information there. So it's a little bit too long for us to continue with that on this episode. So we're going to save that for the next one. So, again, if you want to uh, send in feedback, help answer some of these questions, especially the 50% that we get wrong, uh, send it to AirlinePilotGuy.com. And, uh, no, feedback at AirlinePilotGuy.com. And uh, let's see. Uh, if you want to learn more about the show, we have a website, airline is on online occasionally, airlinepilotguide.com. <laughs> Sometimes it works. Yeah. If it's not working, you don't have to send us a bunch of messages. We usually yeah. know. Has, has our ash been on holiday? Uh, I don't know, but we got it fixed. It's up. As The last time I checked, it was up. And uh, so if you want to uh, learn more about the crew and the community and... Oh, watch the show live, and we have uh, merchandise, and we have the Plain Tales podcast. Uh, that's also its separate feed on iTunes. Please make sure you subscribe to that and leave a review. And we have the APG Library. We haven't mentioned that in a while. A great place for you to find great uh, literature uh, manned or womaned by our APG librarian, Tiffany. And uh, let's see what else. Lots of stuff there on the uh, APG website, and that's airlinepilotguide.com. Also, yeah, it's working. Is it? Awesome. And um, we have apps for your iOS or Android device. Just do a search in the appropriate app store for Airline Pilot Guy. And we're also on the on the social media. The social media? Yeah. (laughs) Just bring that up. No, able that's what the cool kids say. I don't know. <laughs> Just so, shut up. <laughs> the rock I live under. So, uh, social media for those of you who are um, not cool like me, uh, you can find us on Twitter, twitter.com, and our handle is at APG Crew. All of our individual Twitter account information is linked to the top of that page or pinned to the top of the page, I should say. Um, you can also head over to facebook.com slash airline pilot guide. Lots of news information, people sharing stories that they think would be valuable for the community to uh, to know about. So hope to see you on the social meds. <laughs> there you go. Now you're one of the cool kids. No, I'm, I feel so cool <laughs> for having said that. And speaking of cool, let's hear from... Hillel, he's been quiet the whole show. Come on out. Come over here and tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share ideas and news. We suggest episode and Plain Tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at AirlinePilotGuy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel 
and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled H-I-1-1-E-1. Hotel India, 1-1, Echo 1. And see you in Slack. Thanks so much for listening to our show, downloading it on your podcast client software of choice and leaving us reviews and a big special thanks and applause for our producer Liz Piper in Toronto, Canada. Thanks for all of that. And uh, until next time, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, buddy. See everybody next time. Good day.